We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Thursday, September the 24th, 2020. On today's show, it's finally here, folks. Kickoff on Saturday against Tennessee. I will give my full breakdown of Saturday's game as the Gamecocks host the Tennessee Volunteers at Williams-Brice Stadium on Saturday night. I'll break down the Vols in their entirety, also give my top storylines, key matchups to watch, keys to the game, much, much more there as we all get ready for kickoff. Also, news and notes, your listener questions. And guys, we throw around the word legendary a lot, but this is truly a legendary interview. A legendary interview. Former Gamecocks defensive line coach. He spent two tenures with South Carolina. Has coached some of the best players in South Carolina football history and was a part of some of the best staffs in Carolina history. He was part of the best, some of the best teams as well. Former Gamecocks assistant coach Brad Lawing was gracious enough to take his time, come by the studio, join the show. We talk about everything. His coaching tenure, obviously his time at South Carolina, relationship with Steve Spurrier, Will Muschamp. A phenomenal interview, guys. One for the ages and one that I know that you are sure to enjoy. Before we get into everything, this is a broadcasting show by our friends over at MyBookie. Guys, football season's here. Kickoff is literally in two days. We have the NFL. We've got sports going on like crazy right now. And at MyBookie, that can only mean one thing. It is winning season. Winning season means doubling your first deposit. Winning season means free bets, super contests, survivor, and more. At MyBookie, Winning season is all about your chance to win big. Guys, you can bet NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, Major League Baseball. The playoffs are about to come up, come up in that as well. UFC, college football, NFL, anything you can think of, you can bet it at MyBookie. The craziest sports time of your lifetime is here. It's really simple, guys. Make your picks, win big, collect your cash. Invest in your intuition, guys. You're all smart. You know who's going to win the games on Saturday. Select from hundreds of future bets or you can bet games in real time with MyBookie's live betting. Put that big brain of yours to good use. Go to MyBookie.ag. That's MyBookie.ag. Use the promo code Gamecocks. Again, MyBookie.ag, promo code Gamecocks, and double your first deposit. Guys, new players get up to $1,000 in free play. So you put in 1000 they are going to match it and give you $1,000. Basically a free money, guys. I, literally, you can make these plays. If you lose, nothing comes out of your account. Nothing comes out of your pocket. If you win, guess what? It's money in your pocket. You cannot lose in this situation. It's designed to add more excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. Thousands of cross sports, wagers, props, and parlays await. Sign up now to bet with the best and celebrate your victory. Again, that's mybookie.ag, promo code Gamecocks. Mybookie.ag, promo code Gamecocks. Your winning season begins today only at mybookie. Let's get it.
What is up, guys? Happy Thursday. I'm Chris Stilts, Joseph Spurs Up Show. As always, appreciate you guys tuning in. We have got a packed, and I mean a packed show, a ton of stuff to go over. The very first game preview show of the 2020 football season. And of course, I am fired up to talk to you here on a Thursday. I hope you're all having a fantastic afternoon. Hope you all have had a great week as well as we just sit now two days away from kickoff Saturday night at williams Bryce Stadium. Again, hope you're all having a fantastic day. Let's jump right into it. Before we do, a couple of housekeeping items as always. First off, if you haven't done so, if you haven't done so, for those that have, I appreciate it. Rate and subscribe. Go to, go to iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play. does not matter the platform. Leave five stars. If you want to leave your thoughts, your feedback, whatever it may be, I really do appreciate those that take the time to leave their thoughts. Because I go there, I check the reviews, I, I listen to the feedback, and I appreciate that. But go leave five stars. It helps boost the podcast. helps people that maybe aren't familiar with the Spurs Up show. It helps them to find the podcast. So, again, go leave five stars. Go rate the show. And if you've already done so, again, I truly do appreciate it. Also, if you're not subscribed, make sure you hammer that subscribe button. The daily, the daily pods are off and running, and you want to be sure you get those daily notifications when the podcast drops. So, again, rate, subscribe, and if you've done so, thank you so much, like I said before. Also, want to remind you, watch party Saturday in case you did not hear Overtime Bar and Grill. I posted the graphics on social media, but Saturday night at Overtime Bar and Grill is where I'll be watching the game. Uh, doors open around. You can get there at 5. They open at 5, kick off at 7.30. I'll be getting there around 5.15, 5.30 with a pregame show going live at 6 o'clock for about 30 minutes or so, taking your questions, comments, giving my last-minute uh, thoughts on the game. Should be a lot of fun, but watch party there at Overtime Bar and Grill, guys. The venue is phenomenal. The specials they're running right now, you're not going to find better specials in the city. I mean, really, and it's an awesome, awesome place. I'm looking forward to it, and we hope to see you there as well. Also, one last thing before we dive into everything, wanted to let you guys know. So the plan was to do the NCAA season simulation with Colin Hill, correct? Well, this week has been madness, as you guys all know. It has been nonstop content. I mean, content through the roof, which is a great thing. But I simply did not have time to do the, to do the simulations, to do all 10 games. So, instead of that, what we are going to do is I'm going to do NCAA 14 game week simulation. So, every single Wednesday night, the week of the game, I will be simming the game that is to come that weekend. So, for example, Wednesday night, you guys probably saw, we simmed the game against Tennessee. The next week, we'll do Florida. The next week, we'll do Vanderbilt, so on and so forth. So, just to let you guys know, those will be coming back. And, obviously, I'll update the rosters and the depth charts to accurately affect or reflect excuse me, what is going on in real life. But just wanted to let you guys know, that is going to be a thing we are doing, and I'm very excited about it because, honestly, it's fun, and it kills time in the middle of the week, and it's just kind of fun to see what the computer thinks of that weekend's uh, – that weekend's matchup. So, all right, let's get in the show. Before we do, really quickly, guys, because a lot of you have been asking me, Chris, are there tickets available? Are there tickets available? If you do need tickets, please do not forget about our friends at SeatGeek. Please do not because the tickets are so expensive. I'm literally giving you a promo code to save 20 bucks. 20 bucks. Go download the SeatGeek app. Go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP. You're going to save $20 off your first purchase. Like I said, guys, they're going to have tickets to all of your South Carolina football games, home, away, whatever it may be. They've got a great ticket rating system, which rates the tickets for you based on the type of deal you're getting. So, guys, you're going to know the kind of deal you're getting, whether you're getting ripped off, whether it's a steal, whatever it may be. You're going to know exactly where you're sitting, what you're paying. It's going to give you that peace of mind before you click the buy button. So, guys, SeatGeek's going to be the way to go. Obviously, they're changing the game when it comes to ticket buying. So, again, download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use that promo code Spurs up. That's S P U R S U P. Save $20 off because, again, guys, 
Those tickets are so damn expensive. We could all have that 20 bucks. We, everybody could use that 20 bucks in their pocket. So, again, promo code SPURS up at SeatGeek. Go get your tickets for Saturday night's game or any other college football game this season, any other South Carolina game, whatever it may be. All right, let's dive into it. The first preview show of the 2020 football season, and I'm very, very excited to talk about these, this Tennessee team and give my thoughts on the game. The 16th ranked, by the way. 16th-ranked Tennessee Volunteers coming into town for a 7.30 kickoff on SEC Network at Willie B. Vols sit right now. We talked yesterday's show. They're a three-and-a-half-point favorite over under sitting at 42-and-a-half for this game. When you're talking series history, Tennessee leads 26-10-2. and And the last time they met, we all know last year, Tennessee pulling away in the second half, beating the Gamecocks 41-21. to As far as the injury report's concerned, Marshawn Lloyd obviously out for the season. Trey Jones will miss this game. He has an injury. And Alex Huntley, as Will Muschamp said Tuesday, he will miss this game with an ankle injury. As far as anything else COVID-related or injury-related, obviously tonight Will Muschamp going to speak on his call-in show. So obviously I'm recording this late Wednesday. So there may be some new injuries that come out, but right now that is what we know of. That is what we know of right now. So breaking down Tennessee just a little bit, their head coach, Jeremy Pruitt, uh, ranked 16th in the AP And obviously, the, the rankings right now are very skewed because you don't have any Big Ten teams to rank right now. So is Tennessee really the 16th best team in the country? I would say no. Um, but it is a big-time opportunity for South Carolina to get a win over a ranked opponent to start the season. Obviously, winning this game, as we've talked all offseason about this game, winning this game would wash out some of that nasty taste from that four and eight year. But especially beating a 16th-ranked Tennessee team, Tennessee team, would do this program and this fan base and this team wonder. So, obviously, the expectations very, very high for Tennessee after the way they finished last year, finished really hot. I think they won like six of their last seven or maybe their last six in a row, something like that. But, uh, yeah, I'm looking now. They won their last six in a row. Um, so, obviously, they're coming in on a high. South Carolina looking to bounce back from four and eight. Let's dive right into the storylines, the top storylines for this game on Saturday night. The first things first, guys, you have to start here. We made it. We finally made it, and it's almost like it almost still kind of feels surreal. Um, but after a long, tumultuous offseason in which I was unsure we'd have football. I mean, I was always optimistic. I always, you know, kept my spirits high and everything. Um, you know, nobody was certain. Nobody was certain we'd get football. Now, it's going to look a little bit different for sure. It's going to look a little bit different. You've seen the pictures of Williams-Brice Stadium with the social, social distancing and all that stuff. It's going to look different. It's not going to be a packed Willie B, unfortunately. But we are getting football Saturday night. We are getting football at Williams-Brice Saturday night. Again, it's going to look different. There are different things about this, but we made it. Guys, take a second. Pat yourself on the back. We made it to this damn thing. We made it to this damn kickoff. Let's freaking get it. Um, One of my other big storylines as well. Again, we've been talking about this game all offseason. So this may be one of the shorter preview shows just because – I've already talked about this game so much. But one of the big storylines of this one is just who needs this win more? You know, I've talked about this is South Carolina's most important game of the 2020 football schedule. You look at the other side for Tennessee, and again, I've talked about this before, Tennessee, a program, they're trying to get back to the heights they were once at. They're trying to compete with the Floridas, with the Georgias. They're trying to get that to that level. You know, Tennessee, in the Jeremy Pruitt era, obviously, I think he's in his fourth year or so, you know, Again, they're a program that feels like the trajectory. They're on the rise, and they're trying to take that next step. I'll tell you this. As a Tennessee program, you know, if I was a Tennessee fan, 
I think it's reasonable for them to say you can't justify your heading towards that if you lose this game to South Carolina. They need this win badly. This is the type of game for both programs that, you know, it, it really could mold their season. Now, I've talked about South Carolina. Getting to five and five is the goal. Five wins or more is the goal, in my opinion, to show real progress in this 2020 season. You know, you hate to say that one game is going to determine the entire season, but it just feels like you, this team is not going to be able to hit those heights, to hit that mark, okay, if it does not win this game against Tennessee. This just feels like one of those swing games you just absolutely have to have. I mean, Tennessee is not that far ahead of you. Yes, they beat you last year, but look how you, you had done against them before. You'd won three in a row against Tennessee. Will Muschamp has dominated them, which leads me in my next storyline as far as just Will Muschamp's success over Tennessee. Um, I think that's a big storyline in this one because, again, last year, yes, they beat you by 20 points. We all get it. But Will Muschamp has done very, very well. He has made a living off of beating the Tennessee Volunteers back to his days at Florida as well. So I wonder if that success can continue for Will Muschamp. But this is just such, you know, again, I could keep stressing it, but this is just such a pivotal game for South Carolina. I think overall as far as for the psyche of the program, for the psyche of the fan base, obviously, but the psyche of the program, the players, the coaching staff, just getting your season off to a good start. Like I said, washing out the nasty taste of 4-8 and eight a year ago. I mean, that – that, to me, is going to be such a big thing for this team. Getting a win Saturday night, getting, like I said, getting rid of that nasty taste. And I think when you're talking about who needs this win more, because that was the question that I posed, I think it is South Carolina. I, I mean, I really think it is. Because, you know, Tennessee, if you lose to South Carolina, you could justify it. Hey, we were on the road, you know. And I think Tennessee could still go on to have a pretty decent season. If you're South Carolina and you lose this game at home, and especially if you do it in ugly fashion, which I don't think that's going to happen. I'll give my official score prediction tomorrow, but I don't think that's happening. I think this is a coin flip type of game. I think it's a close game. But if you lose this game at home, like I said, guys, it's just going to be so hard, if not damn near impossible, in my opinion, to get to that five-win mark. So I think South Carolina needs this win more than Tennessee. But like I said, I wonder if Will Muschamp's success. He's obviously obviously been – extremely successful against the Volunteers. For whatever reason, this dude has just had it figured out against UT. Will that continue on Saturday night? One of the other big storylines, and you guys are probably sick of hearing about this because we've been talking about it, or I've seen it on social media. Everybody's been talking about it all week long. And that is the battle in the trenches, the most intriguing matchup in this game. And really what's going to determine the winner of this game, I'll be honest with you, is the battle up front on both sides, offensively and defensively. You know, Tennessee, we've all seen the statistic. We've all seen the graphic of the guys. They return the offensive line. Uh, I think four of the five guys are five stars. Uh, the other guys, like a sixth-year senior. You know, Cade Mays right now is awaiting, um, you know, awaiting to be approved by the SEC, which I'm sure will happen because, hey, the NCAA hates us and loves everybody else. But even if they don't have Cade Mays, they are very, very, very good. Very good on the offensive line. Probably their best unit. Flip side to South Carolina. On the offensive side, I would say certainly South Carolina's best unit is the offensive line. So you've got two really good offensive lines going against each other. Uh, for Tennessee, they have three seniors, excuse me, five seniors on their two deep in regards to defensive linemen. Five seniors on their two deep. 
Uh, meanwhile, for South Carolina, you have to replace Javon Kinlaw. And again, you're going up against that tough, nasty Tennessee offensive line, having to replace Kinlaw. Is Zach Pickens ready to develop? Is Zach Pickens ready to fill in and have a big night for you? Um, can you get pressure on Garantano? Simply put, the battle in the trenches, the battle up front is something you're going to want to watch for in this game, the entire game. Because again, and that's why it's a top storyline, because the team that wins that battle, that can hold their own in the trenches, that can get a push, that is the team that is going to win this football game on Saturday night. Uh, another big storyline, and you're probably thinking, Chris, I can't believe you're just now getting to it. But one of the biggest storylines this game is just Colin Hill's South Carolina debut. Colin Hill, after winning the QB1 job, he makes his debut Saturday night at Williams-Brice Stadium. Um, I know we're all very intrigued, very excited. All of you keep asking me, Chris, what do you expect from Colin Hill? What are you thinking Colin Hill's going to do? And to be honest with you, it doesn't sound great to say, but I don't know. I really don't know what to expect. The only thing that I can say that I really expect from Colin Hill, you know, I do expect him to look like a veteran out there. I really do. I expect him to bring a veteran presence to this offense and to this football team. Now, what will this Gamecocks offense look like? Because, listen, it's not just Colin Hill's debut. It's Mike Bobo's debut as well. What will Mike Bobo's offense look like? What's going to be their game plan? How are they going to try to attack this Tennessee defense? A defense that is pretty damn solid. A defense that is pretty damn solid. I mean, they returned five starters on defense, but a defense that held its own last year, and I think will be good once again this year under Jeremy Pruitt's leadership. But Colin Hill and Mike Bobo making their South Carolina debuts. How will Colin Hill fare in his first start? Um, I, you know, if people have been asking Chris, if this happens or that happens, will we see Ryan Holinsky? Does Colin Hill get pulled? I think this is Colin Hill's game. Granted, uh, you know, God forbid, unless he has like three picks at halftime, then who knows? We could see a change. But I think this is Colin Hill's game. They're going to let Colin Hill just say, you know what, you take it, you run with it. Um, I'm expecting, again, to see a veteran presence from Colin Hill. I think he will be very efficient. I don't think, again, I've talked ad nauseum about this offense. I don't think there will be anything that will wow you. I don't think there will be anything that will be must-watch TV. But I do expect Colin Hill to conduct this offense in a very efficient manner, not shooting yourself in the foot, not turning the football over. And, again, being that leader, like Mike Bobo said, when those 10 guys on the field and those 70 on the sideline believe he's the guy, I do expect Colin Hill to do that. So, again, his debut, Mike Bobo's debut, as far as, again, the, the question we've been asking ourselves all offseason, what is this offense going to look like? What is it going to look like? We're going to find out on Saturday night. Uh, another big storyline, Jarrett Garantano. Flipping to the Tennessee side of things, Jarrett Garantano being named QB1 for the Vols. His last go-around in Tennessee Orange. What type of outing does he have? Because it's been a mixed bag for him against South Carolina. Again, we all remember last year he played extremely well. Threw two touchdowns, no picks. Um, was part of the effort that shredded the South Carolina secondary. Absolutely shredded the South Carolina secondary. What type of game does he have? Because I really do believe this game is going to come down to which quarterback makes the least mistakes. I really do at the end of the day think it's going to come down to that. At least that's going to be one of the major, major factors. Again, Colin Hill, first time playing for the Gamecocks, Jaron Garantano. And his career has been – I compare – Jarrett Garantano is kind of like the Jake Bentley of Tennessee, but he hasn't always held on to the starting job. Very up-and-down career, um, has made a ton of mistakes, but also has had some, um, some moments where he shined. Um, what type of performance does Tennessee get out of the senior 
on his last go-around, like I said. I mean, the last time he was at Williams-Brice Stadium, South going to beat Tennessee. Um, so, you know, we'll see. But I, I think it will be very interesting. And, again, disrupting Jarrett Garantano is going to be key in this one. And like I said, I think the quarterback that makes the least mistakes, that team is most likely going to win this football game, no question. Um, last storyline here, wrapping up. And, again, going back to we finally made it, the COVID situation. You know, I think it's a fun one. What is it? What is Williams Bryce like? What What is the atmosphere like Saturday night as far as the social distancing and, you know, limited capacity? You know, they actually just freed up 1,100 tickets to students because they were having trouble selling tickets. And I would just say to USC, well, if you, you want to see why, it's because you're charging a small freaking fortune to go to the game. You're charging $90 for upper level. But anyways, anyways, sticking to the topic. One of the big storylines to me is what is the atmosphere like at Williams-Brice Stadium? Because you're not going to get the 80,000 rocking like you normally do. You know, I, I think back to – I was at that 2018 Tennessee game, and that was a very, very close game like most of these have been. And if you think the crowd doesn't make a difference in those kind of games, you're fooling yourself. Like, it, it does make a huge difference. So, what is the environment? What is the environment like at Williams-Brice Stadium? You know, I, I fully believe 20,000 can get much louder than you think. 20,000 can get very, very loud, especially if things are going well. Um, but what does the first game day in 2020 with the pandemic, with everything, with all the, the regulations and stuff, what does that look like at Williams-Brice Stadium? I'll be very, very curious to see that as well. All right, let's move into key matchups to watch for the game Saturday. And I stress to you guys how important, how important the line of scrimmage is. So that's where I'm going to start. And I'm going to start with defensive lineman Zach Pickens against offensive lineman Trey Smith for Tennessee, the guard. Very highly touted guy, Smith and All-SEC player, Zach Pickens. Obviously, he's listed right now as the backup tier to Keir Thomas, but I expect him to play a lot. I expect Zach Pickens, again, to take off this year to have the biggest year one to year two jump of any player on that defense. Again, with, with the line of scrimmage being such a, a pivotal battle in this game. Because, again, if you get whipped up front, you have no chance. You have no chance to win this football game if you get whipped up front. You have to at least hold your own at the point of attack. Is Zach Pickens ready? Because, again, Trey Smith is a proven guy. All SEC players going to be a high draft pick in the NFL. He's a proven guy. Is Zach Pickens ready? to fill the void left by Javon Kinlaw. And I'm not saying be Javon Kinlaw. I'm not saying have that type of performance or be Javon Kinlaw 2.0. But what I am saying is Zach Pickens ready to, again, fill that void, to, to at least be serviceable and hold his own against a guy like Trey Smith or whoever else he's going up against because I'm sure he'll flip-flop sides of the line and stuff like that. Can Zach Pickens do enough, get enough of a push inside? Because you know Tennessee's going to try to run the football. They're going, to try to give, they're going to try to give Jarrett Garantano some help, no question. And then Ty Chandler, their senior running back, and Eric Gray, the sophomore, they're going to try to establish the running game, no questions asked. So Zach Pickens, a key piece for this South Carolina defense, going up against Trey Smith, who, again, an all-SEC player, I mean, a big-time offensive lineman, a big-time caliber player. You look at Trey Smith. Let's see. You look at Trey Smith, his measurables, he is – 6'6", 335. So he's got the weight advantage on Zach Pickens, but can Zach Pickens, again, take that year one to year two jump and cause havoc in that Tennessee backfield will be very, very interesting to see. And again, going to be a pivotal matchup. Going to be a pivotal matchup up front on the line of scrimmage. Um, 
Next up, my second key matchup to watch, wide receiver Shai Smith against defensive back Bryce Thompson. Yes, everybody knows that name, Bryce Thompson. Very, very well known across Gamecock circles. Um, this one's pretty simple, man. I mean, listen, I've talked about this South Carolina offense and what, what, uh, what I think they're going to be and, you know, what, what, they, what they're going to need to do and, you know, what, what I think they're going to try to do. I think they're going to try to run the football, run 60-40, blah, blah, blah. You guys all get it. You've all heard me say that, what I think the offense will look like. But bottom line, end of the day, you have to be able to stretch the field in some capacity. You, you just have to. You have to be able to stretch the field. And I talked about, if Shai Smith does not have a good year this year, we know the questions with the wide receiver position. If Shai Smith does not ball out this year, it is going to be a long, long year. Long year offensively. Shai Smith's got to play the best football of his career. No question. He's got to play the absolute best football of his career. Bryce Thompson, we all know about Bryce Thompson. Had a really good year for Tennessee last year. Um, I believe Nigel Warrior led them in picks, but he had a very, very good year for them, an all-conference type of player. Um, and obviously someone that Gamecock fans know very, very well is him being from the local area. But, you know, Shy Smith, it's really more to me in this matchup just about Shy Smith. Can he get open down the field? Can he stretch the field? Because Colin Hill can spin the football. Please do not get it twisted. Colin Hill can spin it, no questions asked. And the Gamecocks are going to need Shy Smith to have a big day. I know he's going to attract a lot of attention from defenses. I understand that. But Shy Smith, he, he's going to have to have a big game to get this passing game going. Because, yes, I think South Carolina with their offensive line, you feel good about that. They should be able to run the football. And they're going to have to run the football. But you've got to be able to throw it. You have to be able to do different things. Again, to keep the defense honest, if nothing else. And Shy Smith will be a major, major piece of that. My final key matchup to watch. And this one goes off the field, and I don't think it will surprise you. My final key matchup to watch, head coach Will Muschamp against head coach Jeremy Pruitt. Yes, two guys from the Saban coaching tree that I feel like are very, very similar. But listen, this game, this game is going to come down to defense. You know, I, I, you know the over-under is set at 42.5 for a reason. I did pick the over. I think it will go barely over, but... This is going to be a defensive football game. This is going to be a defensive showcase. And you know Will Muschamp and Jeremy Pruitt are both scheming up right now. How are we going to disrupt the other's quarterback? How are we going to get pressure on the quarterback? How are we going to stop the running game? How are we going to limit the passing game? Stuff like that. Which head coach has the better game plan? Which head coach has the better game plan? Again, coaching's a big deal. That's why we talk about it. It's a major deal. Those guys make a lot of money for a reason. Which guy, which defensive mind, because they're both very well-respected defensive minds, which defensive mind has their defense ready to go, ready to play, ready to make the most of the opportunity? Again, Muschamp versus Pruitt. I feel like these are always going to be really, really fun battles and really fun matchups to watch because, again, of these two guys, I feel like their philosophies are very, very similar. Again, coming from the Nick Saban coaching tree. They're going to they're gonna be very similar. You know what I mean? Effort, toughness, discipline, we all get that, the whole gist. Um, but Will Muschamp against Jeremy Pruitt. Again, like I said, I expect the defenses, you know, I mean, again, whichever defense makes the most plays, big plays, is going to win the football game, bottom line. So which head coach will have his defense in a better position and more positions to make big plays on Saturday night? Going to be something I'm very, very intrigued to watch. All right, let's dive into the keys of the game. T keys to the game, excuse me. Let's dive into keys to the game. We're going to start right where I was just at, guys. Defense making big plays. Plus turnover margin. 
key to the game, win the turnover margin. There is no chance in my mind if South Carolina loses the turnover margin that they're going to win this football game. None. I don't see it. Hey, I, if I eat crow, I eat crow. That's totally fine. I wouldn't mind that. But this South Carolina football team, with as limited as you are offensively and all the questions you have, I mean, listen, I don't think any of us are predicting South Carolina to hit 30 points. I, I don't. I don't see it. Nope, I really don't. So you're going to need to get the football off of Tennessee. You're going to need to disrupt Jared Garantano and make some big plays and pick him off. You're going to need to be opportunistic, like I've talked about this offseason. Being an opportunistic defense, and offensively, you have to take care of the football. You have to be efficient. You can't put it in harm's way. Hey, if you got to take the sack and punt it, do it. End every possession and a kick. But I just don't think right now this South Carolina football team is good enough to play in a negative turnover margin. You're going to have to give yourselves ample opportunities to score, to make big plays, to pull ahead. So my number one key to the game, plus turnover margin. Win the turnover margin. My second key to the game, I talked about it before too, you got to establish the running game. Listen, no, nobody's expecting you to go out there and light it up passing through the air. Like, like I said, that Shaw-Smith matchup is really, really important. But South Carolina's going to lean on its running game. I, I just I don't see any other way you can win this football game. You're going to have to lean on your running game. I talked about that battle in the trenches. That is probably the biggest storyline in regards to on-field. Who's going to win this game? The team that holds their own and wins at the point of attack, South Carolina needs to establish that running game whether it be through Kevin Harris, whether it be through Deshaun Fenwick, Zaquandre White, whoever, whoever it is, Rashad Amos, I don't know, you have got to find a way to open some running lanes and get those guys some yardage. You do that, I think it sets up some play action. It takes a lot of the pressure off Colin Hill because, again, I don't think offensively this is a team that's good enough. I don't think this team has enough weapons to play in third and seven or longer. I, I don't think it ha – it's not a team that's built that way. You need to keep yourself to third and four or shorter, third and threes, third and twos, stuff like that. Give yourself opportunities to convert. So, again, establishing the running game, major, major key for the game on Saturday night. And my final key to the game, and it's really, again, it revolves around the line of scrimmage. My final key to the game, flipping over to the defensive side of the ball, get pressure on Jarrett Garantano. Jarrett Garantano has shown throughout his Tennessee career, he is a guy, if you get in his face, He'll throw it up. He will make a mistake. And South Carolina has plenty of defensive talent, especially in the secondary, who will be waiting, who will be licking their chops if Jarrett Garantano wants to try them because of pressure. Again, I think back to 2018 when South Carolina got the win over Tennessee at Williams-Brice, and I think, what, it was a 24-20 or 24-21 kind of game. One of the big things in that game was the pressure they got on Jarrett Garantano. South Carolina was able to wreak havoc on him again Garantano's a senior his last go around in, with with Tennessee you've got to be able to put pressure on him again I think Tennessee's going to get their yards on the ground I do again Eric Gray Ty Chandler they're going to get their yards those guys will get yards um they return Josh Palmer the senior but outside of that some question marks at wide receiver so I think if you can get in the backfield early and often, you don't even have to sack him, but just get pressure on Jarrett Garantano. Make him feel you. Make him feel your presence. 
you're going to have to do that because again, turnover margin is going to be massive. And how do you, how do you increase? How do you win the turnover margin? You get pressure on the quarterback and you force him into mistakes. And I think South Carolina's defense is good enough to where if that defensive front does their job, the back end of that defense should be able to do theirs as well. So again, my three keys to the game, plus turnover margin, establish the running game and pressure Jarrett Garantano. So That'll do it for the preview, guys. I will give my score prediction on tomorrow's show. Before you all ask, I will be giving my score predictions every single Friday on the podcast. Score prediction tomorrow. But very much looking forward to this game Saturday. Again, like I said earlier, I think it is a pivotal, pivotal matchup. Pivotal matchup for both sides, and I'm very, very excited for it as well. All right, let's get into news and notes, then your listener questions. Um, first off, thing. first things first. Battle Armor released for the game on Saturday night. Gamecocks are going with drum roll, all black. Not surprised at all. Gamecocks are going with all black. Um, we always wear all black against Tennessee. That's what I would have predicted. That's what I would have picked. But again, Gamecocks rocking the all black against the Volunteers. Uh, media picks coming out on Wednesday. Media picks did come out on Wednesday. South Carolina picked to finish fourth in the SEC East, which – you know, not surprising. Um, you go down the list. Florida being Florida getting picked to win the SEC East was the more surprising thing. That was definitely surprising. Followed by Georgia, Tennessee, Kentucky, then South Carolina, Missouri, and then Vanderbilt. I'm not surprised where they were picked at all. I mean, listen, you got to beat Kentucky. If you want, if you want to be picked ahead of Kentucky, you've got to beat Kentucky. I understand that Kentucky, you beat them last year, but look what Kentucky did versus what you did. So you can't be upset. You really can't. And t- Kentucky has a lot of hype, especially with Terry Wilson returning. So, I think South Carolina can finish third in the SEC East. Who knows? Excuse me, South Carolina picked to finish fifth. I said fourth here. Why did I say that? Picked to finish fifth in the SEC East. My apologies, guys. Behind Florida, Georgia, Tennessee, and Kentucky. My apologies there. Anyways, I think South Carolina could finish fourth. I really do. I think they could finish ahead of Kentucky, but you can't be mad at the media members for for them picking Kentucky ahead of South Carolina. So, And it's unfortunate. I hate to see it but you got to go beat them. Go beat them this year. You won't see that again. Um, also, the All-SEC picks by the media came out today, uh, preseason All-SEC team, and nothing really groundbreaking here except for the fact that J.C. Horn was left off the list again. Um, I truly don't understand it. J.C. Horn left off of the list again. I, I mean, I've, I've been critical of J.C., but, dude, he's, a, he's an all-conference player. Like, he's an all-conference player. You're killing me with that. Sedarius Hutcherson and Israel Mukwamu named second team. Uh, Aaron Sterling named third team. But no J.C. Horn. Unreal. Unreal. All right, let's get into your listener questions. Krusty Andy, I hate those orange hicks. Cox by 90. Let's go. Cox by 90. St. Dot Kirk, 27-21. We are snatching that home win. I love it. I, I mean, I'd love to see it. I mean, I, I'd love to see also this offense get to 27 points. Um. But, you know, we, we could see it happen for sure. Uh, Thomas underscore Brady underscore H. Carolina 35, Tennessee 28. I think our defense will need to iron out some stuff in week one. I'm just going to tell you, man, if, if Tennessee scores 28, we are not winning. Uh, and, and I I mean, I'd love to be wrong, but we're not. We're not. We are not winning if we give up 28 points. We're not. We're, we're not scoring 35. And you, so you're telling me you think the defense, the defense needs to iron some things out, but the offense won't need to iron anything out? I mean, come on, man. <laughs> come on. 
That offense is going to need to iron some stuff out, too. So, hey, I love your optimism, though. If we won 35-28, I wouldn't be mad at it. Uh, Sladen Jack, South Carolina 27, Tennessee 24, hashtag Spurs up. Could definitely see that as well. Um, Austin G underscore 45. Who has the most receiving yards in this game for the Gamecocks? That is a very good question. Um, because I said Shy Smith is a key matchup for sure, and I 110% believe that he is. But I don't know that he'll have the most receiving yards. I'm going to go Xavier Leggett. I think Leggett, because I think Shy Smith will attract a lot of attention from the defense. I think Xavier Leggett busts out and has a big game this game. Um, final question, CP3 underscore presents underscore. What do you expect out of Bobo in his first game, and do you think the fans will make an impact? I think the fans will make a bigger impact than people are giving credit for. I really do. I think the fans will make a bigger impact. Um, as far as what do I expect out of Bobo, again, I've talked about the offense. I, I don't think it's going to be anything crazy. I don't think it's going to be anything flashy. But I do think South Carolina will be efficient, and I think they will try to establish the ground game. Obviously, I think they'll work off some play action. and you know They're, they're going to give Colin Hill his opportunities, but I think establishing the running game is going to be the, the, the point of emphasis and the point of focus for this team this weekend. So appreciate the listener questions, guys. Um, again, I'm very, very excited about the game, the game this weekend. And stay tuned for tomorrow, my official score prediction for the game on Saturday night. All right, let's get into our interview. Before we do, I want to tell you my friends over at Southern Oaks Remodeling. Yeah, Southern Oaks Remodeling, locally and family-owned, over 15 years of experience. Guys, they specialize in roofing, windows, doors, siding, and additions, serving the greater Columbia area. You know, when, when you're having people come in your home, you're doing remodeling, you're doing a home project, whatever it may be. That's a very personal experience, right? You want to make sure not only that the company you're, do, you're, you're, you're dealing with is going to do a good job, but what type of people are they? You know, that, that's, that's going to tell you a lot about the company. Southern Oaks Remodeling, I've been able to meet them. They are fantastic people because, again, not only do they do great work, but, again, that locally and family-owned, the tons of, tons of experience they have, you can really feel that when you talk to them. You can feel they care about you. They care about your project, your goals, whatever you want to do, whatever the remodeling project is, they are going to take care of you. So, again, that is our friends over at Southern Oaks Remodeling. They do roofing, windows, doors, siding, additions, anything you can think of. If you're going to do a remodeling project this fall or any time in the near future and you're in the Columbia area, be sure to check out Southern Oaks remodeling and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up show sent you. Um, all right, guys, appreciate you all tuning in. Like I said, a legendary interview here. A legendary interview. Brad Long, former Gamecocks assistant coach, he was gracious enough to come by the studio, and we were able to make this thing work. And, I mean, this is one of those interviews, like you said, you're sitting there and you're like, whoa, this is awesome. So, you know, I, I appreciate all the support because, I think honestly, I think without you guys, like none of this would be possible in the sense of getting someone like this on the show. So, again, guys, sit back, relax, enjoy – Former Gamecocks assistant coach, Brad Lawing. All right, joining us on the Spurs Up show. Very, very excited. Actually, Coach, you are the first, I think, former Gamecocks coach of any kind, especially football, to come on this podcast. But just to give a breakdown, because there's a lot of accolades, a lot I could say about you, to give you guys some background, started his college coaching career at App State, coached at South Carolina from 1989 to 1998, was at Michigan State from 99 to 02. UNC to from 03 to 05, and then back to South Carolina, 2006 to 2012, was part of those great South Carolina teams, team that won the SEC East, we all know. 
Was it Florida from 13 to 14, Florida State from 15 to 17, briefly at Georgia State, and he now sits here with us, has coached some of the greatest – some greats in the NFL. You've also uh, coached seven NFL first-round draft picks, but obviously coached some of the best South Carolina defenders in Gamecocks history. Very pleased to be joined. Brad Long, what, what else can you say? I appreciate you coming by, man. It's awesome to have you. I'm glad to be here. Now, if I wasn't retired, I wouldn't be here today. <laughs> that's but, that's uh, a very good point. That's a very good I point. Said, I ran into a little traffic getting out here. I, Lexington is just – when I go through there, I, I live in Gilbert. Yeah. But Lexington has just grown up so much in that interstate, all that construction. So, I was 10 minutes late, and I apologize. No, you're fine. I'll ask you first. You said you're retired. How How is retired life treating you? I know. I mean, obviously, you've been coaching for – Forever. I mean, is it you? You you know, do you miss it? Are you content? You happy with the retired life? Like, yeah, what's well, what's that? I put, like? I put in, you know, right at forty years. Yeah, and I, I was a high school <laughs> coach for several years before mm. I, I went back out. Uh, but you know, it's a forty years. It's it's a long time. It used to be coaches. <laughs> coaches only coached for thirty years, mm. and then at age fifty two, they retired. Right. Well, now that kind of changed about twenty years ago, and people guys started you know elongating their career. So I ended up uh, staying in it, and uh, with, because of health concerns, I, that's why I hung it up. And it was it was it was a struggle for the first five or six months, but mm. I've adjusted. Like I said, I tell people I just go to bed a little bit earlier than I used to, <laughs> and I get to sleep a little bit. Playing any golf, or you just just hanging out? Not a big golfer. I, I used to be decent, yeah. but when I went to work for Nick Saban, Nick Saban ended my golf career. <laughs> and so, and that's just that's the way that goes. But uh, well, I enjoyed working with him tremendously. But, yeah, I, I don't golf anymore, and I'm, I'm going to get in some fishing a little bit. There you go. Yeah, and, good uh, time of year for it, too. And I, I, I live on Lake Murray. Yeah, yeah, it's and, awesome uh, stuff. Yeah, so uh, I got a little pontoon boat, and I got there and pull around. <laughs> I got three granddaughters, and they're always on the Oh, yeah. Go put the line in the water. If they don't catch anything in five minutes, they're ready to go home. There you go. Right, so you talked about you first coached in high school. Now, forgive me if I don't, you know, should have known this, but did you play college? Did you play football? Yes. Yeah. Where'd you play at? Where, at Lenore Ryan. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. And, yeah. uh, yeah. I was there. I was on the team that won the very first SAC 8 uh, football championship. Mm. Uh, that's when they established that league back in the early you know, or mid-70s. And that was – that's where I needed to be. I mean, mm. I, I wasn't a major college player, but but I had a great experience. I, I was a four-year starter mm. and loved playing for uh, Jack Huss. He was my college coach and Billy Altman was my position coach. And, uh, so it was it was a great experience for me. It's where I needed to be, and I had a great four year you know run there. And for me, mm-hmm. and I say a great one, it was it was to me. And mm-hmm. uh, you couldn't have told me on Saturdays that whether whether I was playing against Alabama <laughs> or playing against you know Wofford, it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all the same. So did you did you always know coaching was going to be like your path? I mean, is that what you yeah, kind of well, wanted to do? Or well, my high school baseball coach. Uh, was a guy named Harry Fry, and I was a part of uh, some teams that won three straight state championships in baseball. I was mm-hmm. a catcher. And I just admired him so much. And then Ed Tallman uh, came from uh, from college to coach at my high school. And he was an, an offensive line coach. And I've had my face mask grabbed and head shook around before, believe me. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was a tough man. and uh, But those guys really influenced me as, as far as – you know, wanting to be a coach. Mm-hmm. So I knew that's what I wanted to do. And so I uh, went to Lenore and played, and then I, I was very fortunate that the the year I got out, I, I graduated in December. Mm-hmm. I worked at a sporting goods store for about five or six months and mm-hmm. got a job there. I, I, my first job was at Havelock High School, 
uh, so Cherry Point Marine Air Base in Eastern North Carolina. Mm. And we have, we've had a lot of kids here from Havelock. Mm. You know, Corey Robinson, Pharaoh Cooper. Mm. Uh, and I, I'm missing some. I, I know I am. I had Bruce Carter at, uh, uh, at North Carolina. Some guys that played in the NFL. Mm. So, you know, it was a good experience there. The guy I played or, or coached with, Wilbur Sasser, he's uh, passed away now. But right. he was a, a fantastic person to be around. So, I was a baseball coach mm-hmm. and a and assistant football coach, and was there three years, and we won a lot of games, played for state championship in baseball, and I was very fortunate. Mac Brown gave me an opportunity at uh, Appalachian State, mm-hmm. and I been, Mac Brown that get wow you know, that was his very first coaching wow job. awesome he had been <laughs> at, he had been at LSU. Right, and he had two opportunities. The way I understood it was, he could have taken the head coaching job at East Tennessee, mm-hmm. or the one at App. He took the one at App. He was only there one year, mm-hmm. and so that was kind of disconcerting a little bit. But then uh, Sparky Woods was on our staff. And he was, <laughs> wow, he was well deserving of the job. We had right. uh, Ellis Johnson was on that staff. Wow, uh, uh, Sparky. Myself. Now, was this the job Mac had before UNC? I'd assume. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah okay. way before okay. UNC. Yeah, I'm just. Yeah, then UNC, I assume, was the next one. What Mac did, he left uh, Appalachian State after one year and went to work at uh, University of Oklahoma with Barry Switzer. Gotcha. Okay. In fact, Galen Hall was the coach that left Oklahoma and Mm -hmm. went to Florida to be the offensive coordinator and then got the head coaching job in Florida. And Mac always, you know, I'm not saying he regretted not taking it, but I think he had a chance to go to Florida then. Right. And he probably would have been the next head coach there, I Mm -hmm. assume. But but Mac was there at uh, was Switzer at Oklahoma. Then he left and went to Tulane, mm. and uh, was the head coach there and took over a program that was struggling mm. really bad and turned them around. And uh, you know the the rest is history as far as his career. He left there and went to North Carolina, and uh, just you know has done a great job in his entire career. Mm. It didn't surprise me to see him get back in coaching. Yeah, now he's doing a good job too with UNC. Oh, he and he, I- he's a great recruiter. Yo, yeah, yo, we're seeing that right now with UNC. I think what they're, they're, I know they're top 10 for sure right now in recruiting. And, you know, obviously not Gamecock fans aren't happy about it, but he's putting up kind of that barrier around North Carolina. Right. It used to be just floodgates are wide open. I think he's starting, you're starting to see him do that. I want, I want to talk to you about that App State job, obviously, because I was taking a look. I mean, you, you, you know, you, you got off the ground running as far as, you know, you coach some really, really good players at App State. And I just, you know, your first, collegiate coaching job what 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 did you you know because obviously that I you know that probably set you up for all the success you had in the rest of your career what did what did you learn most from that first job you know first well, collegiate well job? I learned that you know that what the recruiting aspect comes into play other than in high school and then I you know just the the detail of everything that goes into uh, the program you're around the head coach constantly mm-hmm. and so you see that and and I was Again, I was with some, you know, a great guy at uh, at Havelock, but just you know, Mac was just—he's such a people person. Mm. I mean, I mean, he is great with people, and uh, I got—I got a chance to see a guy that you know became very successful. Uh, you know, I was around him for a while, but I tell people I—I I was very fortunate to uh, be. You know, I've coached with four guys that won national championships. Right. I wasn't with them when they won them. <laughs> <laughs> Just wish, missed it. <laughs> I wish I had, but uh, Mike and, you know, Coach Spurrier and Coach Saban and then Coach Fisher at Florida mm-hmm. State. And so, you know, the bottom line is I learned a lot about people skills, mm-hmm. organization, 
all that with you know being around Mac and Sparky, you know, I mean, it's just and, and and a lot of people they don't understand App State. Sparky Woods is probably the one most responsible for mm. that whole thing getting turned like it did mm. because they they were really bad. Mm. And we got in there and recruited really hard. And Mac left, and Sparky took the reins from there. And recruiting didn't drop off. In fact, it probably accelerated. And we had some really good players. Mm-hmm. And uh, in fact, uh, down here in South Carolina, Lawrence, mm-hmm. Anthony Downs is a, a defense lineman I signed. He was a player of the year in the Southern Conference. And he's in their Hall of Fame now. And uh, in fact, I always tell people three of the best players I've ever coached were from Lawrence. And, uh, so you got Anthony Downs at Appalachian, Stacey Evans here. Mm-hmm. Stacey's an all-SCC player and Eric Sullivan here. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Lawrence has been good to me over the years. I, I want to jump into that as far as the recruiting aspect because, obviously, we know recruiting is a lifeblood of college football, and it's changed so much, you know, as far as all the graphics and the video. There's a lot more, I feel like, that goes into recruiting. But, you know, I've, you were a proven recruiter everywhere you went. What what made you so good at recruiting? I mean, was it just you just genuinely enjoy it as far as going to meet the kids and developing the relationships? Because, I mean, you know, you have to be able to recruit well to be a college coach. But, I mean, there's some guys that stand out from the rest, and you were obviously one of those guys. What do you think, you know, made you such a successful recruiter? Well, I, I, I think uh, I had a really good work ethic. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't mind the long hours. I, did, I, I really enjoyed getting on the road and going and meeting people. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, I always, I felt very comfortable around parents, you know, coaches. And I was a big letter writer. I would always follow, anytime I saw somebody on the road, a coach, whatever, or a kid, I mean, I, I would, that night, I'd, I may write 10 or 12 notes. Mm. And I'd drop them in the mail the next morning at the hotel. But everybody I'd see, principals, guidance counselors, and you'd be surprised the next time you go in that school sometimes, you know, you get the, benefit of the doubt uh, as far as, you know, getting help. And then kids the same way. I mean, I've always felt comfortable around, you know, uh, athletes and, and, and being honest with them. That's the other Mm -hmm. thing. And I I mean, I use the term bullshit, but you know, a lot of kids can, they can see that. Yeah. See right through it. They see right through it. And as long as you're honest with them and I would tell kids, I mean, cause I mean, I, I I coach pretty hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'd say, listen, I'm not for everybody. <laughs> and I'd just tell, i say, you know, you may not want to play for me. Mm. You know, because, I mean, I, I mean, this is what I'm going to expect. And, and, but the players that really want to get better, mm-hmm. they always appreciated that, the honesty. And I think it helped in recruiting. Mm-hmm. And then, again, just having a, an eye for talent. I, I, there's things that I've always looked for. Mm-hmm. And there are some other things that, that uh, people aren't aware of, like, you know, uh, is a guy slew-footed or not. You know, if he is slew-footed, like, I can't change direction. Mm-hmm. If he squats down like a catcher and his heels come up off the ground, that means he's got, he's got no Achilles flexion. Uh, guys that I call them muscle bellies in your bicep mm-hmm. and in your hamstring area, if you're flat in those areas, you can't get strong. And I had a player uh, at Michigan State, Josh Shaw from Lauderdale, and he was a great player for me. <laughs> but he used to get so frustrated in the weight room <laughs> I said, Coach, I just can't get strong. I work as hard as everybody else. I said, well, you got quickness and you got, you got other things that make you a really good player. I said, but you're never going to get strong. And he'd held his arm out. I said, look, right, you're, you're flat right across your bicep. Mm-hmm. I said, you've got a small muscle belly there, and that's not your fault. That's, that's yeah. mom and dad's fault. <laughs> and so, uh, but the things like that you can look for and then, you know, in, in talking to kids, mm-hmm. you know, how, 
you know, how they react. And I always wanted to see, uh, I always wanted to see players in action. I remember DJ Swearinger, our recruit Greenwood area. And with DJ, we were kind of late in offering him. Mm-hmm. And he, had committed, he was committed to Tennessee, right? Yeah, he committed yeah. to Tennessee. And then when uh, Coach Fulmer uh, left, then and we got we jumped right in. Mm-hmm. Because we had done it the right way, you know, when he committed to Tennessee, I said, DJ, I understand you because we were late in, mm-hmm. in the ball game because we hadn't seen enough right. on tape. And uh, – and he was just a three-star – just to think crazy, he was a three-star prospect. Yeah, I mean, and I don't – we know now. And you, know, you, and you don't know me that way, but right. I'm not into the, the, the star. Yeah, right, right. No, know, I understand, yeah. Really not. And I mean, mm-hmm. we signed – this is before our old star system. We signed John Abraham. He played one year of high school football and nobody yeah. knew who he was. <laughs> he turned out to be pretty, pretty yeah. good, I'd say. So, <laughs> but the thing with uh, DJ was he just – we were late into the game – but because of the relationships that we had built through the recruiting process, mm-hmm. when when all that happened, you know, whenever Coach Former left, I mean, we were the we jumped in there on the phone call and we were right back in it. Mm-hmm. And so that's just being able to have, you know, a, a chance to know kids. And, and then I was t- talking about you know the evaluation process, seeing them play. Mm-hmm. It's like we got a chance to see DJ play, and we, and we knew it right then. We said, you know, we, we need need to get back in as we can. Mm-hmm. I, I tell a story about Devin Taylor all the time, and uh, Devin's from Buford. Mm, right. And he was a very meek, mild demeanor, mm. never talked. His mom did all the talking. Sylvia did all the talking for him. And he just, I mean, he just was almost standoffish. But he's a good player on the field. Right. But you always worry about that demeanor. Can a kid, you know, in college football, can he live up to the, the toughness and the work ethic? Even though Coach Clifford down there, they've done a fantastic job with him. But I had his mom uh, bring him up to camp. Mm-hmm. And I told Sylvia, I said, I just need him for at camp for 15, 20 minutes. She said, You don't need him all day? I said, No, just 15, 20 minutes. And I do that thing with a lot of recruits, I call it combatives. And you can really check a kid out, you know, mm-hmm. how they react. And so we were at the football field in between sessions, and uh, Devin. Came over and his mom was sitting over there on the bench. And I said, all right, here's what I'm going to do. We're going to have a little drill right here. I said, I'm going to be an offensive lineman. I'm going to start the drill right here. Mm-hmm. I said, when I punch, punch you, that starts the drill. Then I want you to give me your best pass rush move. I'm going to see what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll go from there. I mean, he's ready. You know, he can give his best pass rush move. And I reached back with my fist and I hit him in the chest as hard as I could. <laughs> I mean, I hit him. And, I mean, and it, of course, it didn't stun him, but. I hit him as hard as I could, and I mean, his eyes went bloodshot. And he came at me and put it bluntly. He about whipped my ass right there. <laughs> but and as soon as that happened, I went over and told Sylvia's mom. I said, "He's got scholarship here, South Carolina." I'd never seen that from him. Right. And when I finally saw it, that's that's what I needed to see, you know, because he was just his demeanor wasn't mm. what you would normally see in a. In a in it's an like athlete. testing his fight or flight kind of. That's what I want to see. Yeah. How would he react? You know, and you know, a lot of kids, I'll jump on and grab them around the neck. Some of them just kind of roll with you, or whatever. Some of them, you know, get off me, or whatever. You know, <laughs> but you want to see how kids react to that. Yeah. Because, I mean, you sign a kid and he's yours for four years and he won't bust a bubble, you know, or I say bust a grape or whatever, you know, just, you know, right. it's hard to change that in a kid. Right. For sure. So, but I think the evaluation part, as much as anything, being able to evaluate talent. And also, uh, you know, just, again, 
you know, the, the relationship you build with kids, mm-hmm. uh, the evaluation process I go through a bunch of, but like Pharaoh Cooper, mm-hmm. I mean, nobody wanted Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. And then when we offered him and, and then he ended up committing to us mm-hmm. down in East North Carolina and he goes to the Shrine Bowl, he's the MVP, mm-hmm. you know, and then everybody warned him it was too <laughs> late. And, uh, you know, that I, I got plenty of stories like that of guys that maybe got overlooked or somebody wasn't sure of. And they ended up being really good ball players. I, I wanted to ask you, so we'll stick with recruiting. I want to get to your South Carolina tenure in a second. But I just always notice, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, as far as your – there was a – especially when South Carolina was really successful, the style of player that South Carolina had on the defensive front, defensive line. And I was going to ask you about, did you specifically target these – these type of builds, these type of skill sets, type of guys, because it was more of like they were big, but a slender, like truly athletic lineman. You think right. of the Melvin Ingrams. I mean, obviously Clowney ran like a four-five. Um, you mentioned Devin Taylor. I think of like Chaz Sutton. You think of uh, Cliff Matthews. Like, oh, it, it, they all had like that similar style. You know, right. It's like, was that what you preferred? I mean, I know that's what you need in the SEC, especially on the edge. But is that like the type of player I guess you prefer when you were looking for those guys on the defensive? First of all. I, I like length. Right. And those guys were long, dude. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, <laughs> Devin was 6'7", 6'8", Clowney 6'5", 6'6", Travion Robertson was 6'5", you know, mm. uh, Cliff Matthews 6'4", 6'5". Mm. In fact, it, it was really almost a hindrance in recruiting when kids would come in from far away that didn't know much about us. I remember mm. we had a, a guy that ended up going to Iowa. Mm. He was from out in the Midwest, and he came down with his dad to visit us uh, in uh, in spring practice. Mm. And he came out there, and he sat in my meeting, and I could tell something was wrong. And then all of a sudden, we go to practice, and I couldn't get to to them quick enough. They were in the car and gone, and never heard from them again. He he saw those guys, <laughs> and he he went, "I don't look like this." Yeah, there's no way. And he said, I, he's, and, "And I think you'd already been over to Georgia or somewhere like that." Right. He's like, man, I don't look like these SEC guys. And he didn't. Yeah. You know, but I, I like length. Hmm. Guys, you know, that can, you know, and, you know, they learn, they can learn how to use their, I call them levers, hmm. you know, put their body in proper positions, you know, be able to fight pressure, understand what pressure is, and, and then pass rush, because that's one thing that I think so many coaches nowadays don't put enough, you know, uh, emphasis on because. They don't understand it. Mm-hmm. It's not just line up and go. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, we had a good understanding with protection. I mean, I was break down. I'd spend all day Sunday breaking down protection. That's the only job I wore on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Get the last game out of the way and start breaking down protection. And uh, that's what I would do. And when I got through, I'd go home. Mm-hmm. And so again, being understanding and you know the parts of pass rush, how to, how to, you know, you know, play with proper, uh, you know, leverage on a quarterback, mm-hmm. how to get him to move in certain ways. I mean, it's, I've got a drill tape. I'd love to show it to you sometime, but I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's in depth, right? very in depth about everything that goes into pass or everything that goes into really how to play the game. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's all the, the minor details, the fundamentals. And, you know, we, uh, I know here at South Carolina, we, we put up some pretty good numbers oh, yeah. over the years yeah. in rushing the quarterback. Mm-hmm. And when I went to Florida State, uh, they had had 13 sacks the year before. Mm-hmm. And Jimbo told me, he said, you know, he said, one of the reasons I'm hiring you is, you know, 
I know your reputation is the guy that coaches pass rush. <laughs> he said, we got to get that changed. Well, the first right. year, I think we had 35 or 36 sacks. And then next year, we had 51 and led the, led the country. Is it, I mean, obviously, it's talent, but is it as much mentality as, mm-hmm. as anything? It's, it's mentality. And again, understanding proper leverage. You can't believe how many sacks get left on the field because a guy loses leverage on the quarterback. See, I would take our – anybody that blitzed, I had them for about 10 or 15 minutes a week in, uh, in practice. Anybody who would blitz on the field. Anybody. anybody corner, yeah. outside backers, they came and worked with me. Right. And all we did was work pass rush you know, moves. And, in mm-hmm. fact, when Darwin James <laughs> – it, it, it kind of tickled me when he got drafted by the Chargers and he went through his first – you know, he's had injury problems, but he right. went through his first uh, – Couple of practices, they said, "Man, this this guy can he understands pass rush better than any perimeter guy we've ever had." And I said, "Yep." <laughs> See, we, we wouldn't use him on special teams at Florida State because you know injury, you know right, possibilities. Right. So he would he just stand over. I said, "Come over here." He would jump right in there with all all the perimeter people at the ends and everybody that could be rushing the quarterback. Mm-hmm. I mean, and he would do our drills, mm-hmm. and he got where he was really pretty good at it. Right, and so. uh but that, that's it, – it's, it's so much more to it than, like, saying just lining up and going. Mm-hmm. you got to learn how to pick people. I remember Ellis Johnson, who's a great friend of mine, yeah. one of the best coaches I've ever met. Fantastic been coach, yeah. Oh, he's unbelievable. And uh, Ellis was always – he'd say, Brad, he said, can you get there three this week? <laughs> and I'd say, yeah, we'll work it out. We'll find a way. Mm-hmm. We'd, we, you know, we may take a guy and we'd pick a guy here just, mm-hmm. and just try to get matchups. As long as you know where the center's turning – you can make stuff happen. Right. And uh, so we're getting ready to play Clemson. Here, one of those years we beat him. He came up to me on uh, Monday. He said, can you get there at two? <laughs> I said, hell, I said, man, that's a tall chore. So what I did was I took Lottie. Mm, Lottie had your boy? Yeah, yeah. I put him out there at defensive end. And I said, Lottie, I just want you to drop straight back mm. and start looking to your right. And looking to your left for anybody crossing the field. Mm. And Lottie said, you want me to do what? I said, here's what I want you to look for. Cross dressers and drag queens. I said, he understood. A cross dresser right. or somebody dragging across. <laughs> and so, in fact, you ask Lottie all the time, tell, tell me about your coverage career. He'll say, cross dressers and drag queens. <laughs> but, so, and then I took uh, Eric Norwood. And uh, I think it might have been Melvin or, or Travian. I forget mm. which one. And I put them both outside the center mm. and ran a little twist game. And I knew which way the center was going to work. Mm. So we got Norwood free. And, I mean, he just spit right up in there. And they got their tackles and their, their guards just sitting there like well, there's nobody for me to block. Right. And everything was happening inside. And we put we, we hit him. Yeah, That was 09, right, I think? Might have been Norwood. It was Kyle Parker. Yeah, that was 09. Norwood's last year, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic player. I mean, obviously, still course, holds the record for sacks. I mean, see, and Eric, uh, there's another one right there. I mean, nobody wanted Eric. Yeah, he was. I remember he was a very. He wasn't a very highly regarded prospect. Well, well he was a lineman, right? And you know, he, people looked at him like he was undersized, and so uh, we took him. And what at first, he he didn't he didn't ha- know how to work, and I used to call, call him high school Harry every day, <laughs> and I used to piss him off, and finally. He said, he said, Coach, I understand what you mean. I need to work harder. Mm-hmm. And he started doing it. And, I mean, from then on, I still uh, 
that game against Kentucky, you had two scoop and scores. Oh, seven. Yeah. You know, that was, that was a heck of a game. And just, I mean, everything, the Thursday night game against Ole Miss. Yep. They had Bradley Siles, their left tackle. He was a freshman. Mm-hmm. And Ty Nixon's on that staff. Yep. And uh, Ty, we, when we beat him, Ty came up to me after the game. He said, man, he said, you have ruined our uh, freshman left tackle. He said, he'll have to be seeing a sports psychologist soon. He said, Nor- uh, Norwood, see, Norwood set the, the career sack record that day. Yeah, I'm, yeah, at that game. Stadium. Yeah. And so, he said, Norwood has ruined that kid. He said, right now he's in, he's in the locker room, he's crying, he's just, you know. So, but, uh, you know, that's, you take who you got and you make it, you know, things mm-hmm. work around. Cliff Gathers, done, Cliff Gathers had tremendous range. Mm-hmm. Huge guy. I remember. He six, was eight. massive. Yeah. That was another one, big tall guy. Yeah, he was huge. But, yeah. you know, he's six, eight. And, you know, Cliff, you know, what a, what a great family and what a great kid. And, mm-hmm. uh, but he, you know, he, that's the things he had to learn. Mm-hmm. And uh, his uncle, Jumpy, who was a, a great player, Jumpy Gathers in the NFL, Jumpy had a big rip. They called it a thing forklift move or whatever. <laughs> and it wasn't really much with your hands. And Cliff had to learn how to use his hands because he was trying to use what Jumpy used the whole time. And <laughs> it was more to it. Right, and right. once once he submitted and said, I'm going to do that, he got better. But yeah, pass rush is, is what a lot of coaches don't spend enough time on. Mm-hmm. Now, where did, where did you learn that? I want to like, is that something you picked up while playing or while under Mac Brown? Like, where did you, did I, you just study the game? Like, where, where'd you learn I that? I studied the game and, and then in the, the uh, art of the pass rush. That's really what it is. Right? But in the 80s, I visited with, I used to go to a lot of NFL camps mm-hmm. and I went to an NFL camp. I forget, I don't know if it was the Vikings or Falcons or whatever, but, but I got a chance to sit in on some meetings with the D-line coach, and, and he kind of gave, gave me some pointers. I, I took a lot of notes. I still got notepads just packed full of stuff. And uh, I got a, a saving notepad that I always give to all my buddies that go to work for. I said, here you go. You need, you need this. You, know, <laughs> you need to know this right now, and uh, it'll help you. So, uh, but he, he taught me a lot. You know, one, there was one camp in particular. And then we got into – we were playing Marshall. Mm-hmm. And it, the league had kind of become us and Marshall mm-hmm. every year. And in the regular season, I mean, they threw the ball around a lot, which a lot of people didn't do back then. Right. And so I took two guys, one of them was a walk-on, Ray for Cannon, weighed 210 pounds. Then I took uh, another kid, weighed about 235, and they both were tall. And I put them inside. I took out them big old tackles. I put mm-hmm. them inside in the second and long and third down in that game. And that became, I, I used to call it our green group. That mm. ended up becoming our rabbits group. Mm. And uh, and so, and we twisted with them. And nobody had ever ran bare defense, which is a pair of three techniques and a zero nose. And we were doing that. I did it so I could get the center one-on-one. We were twisting. And we sacked them like seven or eight times that day. Mm. And beat the fool out of them. And uh, so, but that was the start of rabbits. Mm. And then, of course, I, I did it everywhere else I went. And and just, you know, the business of a lot of pro coaches. Mm-hmm. Over just, they, I felt like they understood pass rush better than a lot of college guys did. And so, uh, bottom line is, you know, we just we did it here. I mean, my rabbits group here, I would take uh, – I usually kept Travian in there, but I'd take Lottie out. And I'd put in sometimes Aldrich Fordham in there, mm-hmm. Melvin Ingram. I'd put Clowney. And Melvin both, I'd stand them up and 
using the twist situations. Mm-hmm. That, that way the center couldn't ID them because, you know, they may start over here and also they end up over here. Right. And like that Mike, we beat Clemson, finally had four and a half sacks. <laughs> you know, I mean. Set the, still the record in a, yeah. their stadium. <laughs> yeah, and, they, and I, but I messed with that center. I, I saw that center later on. He said, man, he said, you messed with us so bad. And he's a coach now. Mm-hmm. And I said, I said, yeah, I did. <laughs> I said, I said, I wasn't sure going into the game exactly what your, what your the ID was about where you were turning. I said, so what I did, I put Clowney where I thought you were going to turn, and I was going to pick you and wrap Clowney back around. As soon as you turned to Clowney, I said, because that wasn't the ID, but I figured it was Clowney. So I said, they, you showed me right then, y'all were turning to Clowney. See, that was our plan to turn to Clowney the whole time. So when you turned, I brought the thing tackle on the other side and just blew the center up. And Clowney just he engaged the center yeah. and it's wrapped right around and it was easy. And it obviously worked. <laughs> it but, obviously worked. But stuff like that. Right. We had uh when I had Florida State had uh, Demarcus Walker. Mm-hmm. He was a ACC defense player of the year. He ended up being a second round draft pick. But he had sixteen and a half sacks. He led the the country in sacks. Right. And uh, so you know, guys that buy into that kind of stuff. And I had Brian Burns at Florida State, who was fantastic. You mm-hmm. know, he plays for the Panthers right now, and but uh, we we spent a lot of time on pass rush, mm-hmm. a lot of time. And if you don't spend time on it, yeah, don't expect your players to do it on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is, always have a drill for everything that you do. If I'm going to ask a player to do something, I'm going to have a drill for that. Just like for yourself being a pitcher in baseball, mm-hmm. you know how many times you reckon you drilled for that that balls. You know, hit down towards first base line. Oh, yeah. You've ran that path all the way through first Banana base. peel. <laughs> I mean, thousands on thousands yeah. on hundreds of thousands. Yeah. yeah but, but you have to do that. Yeah. If, if it's got to become second nature. Yeah. If he's yeah. going to expect you, you know, to do that. Or how many times, you know, whenever they bunt a, a ball down the third baseline, mm. you know, who's supposed to cover uh, third right, base? Right. Yeah. And then catcher. Yeah. The catcher's got to, you know, he, he falls the ball down. Mm. Ball was falling over because the third baseman can't get back in time. Yeah. And the catchers and those log guys up to take it wide turn. Yep. Got a problem here. Yeah. So, uh, you know, just, just it drills and fundamentals and, and that way you keep practice fun for the players. You're not doing the same thing every day, but yet they're getting better and they can see themselves getting mm-hmm. better. And so, uh, you know, pass rush is, is a, is a big part. And, you know, we played run well too. Mm-hmm. And but I always felt like the run was more, you know, toughness. It was mm-hmm. about hand placement and body, you know, presence and having a good base, which to me, I always felt that was easy mm-hmm. to teach a kid. Now, the toughest part, sometimes you got, you, you can't teach them, you have to learn them. Mm-hmm. I use that word, you, you got to <laughs> teach, you got to learn it. <laughs> and the pass rush stuff is, is, is it's very technical. Mm-hmm. I mean, hand placement, I mean, learning to get proper leverage. <clears throat> and I got into this thing. I started going to clinics and listening to the wrestling coaches. Because mm. I thought to myself one day, this is years ago, I said, I felt like I had a pretty good knowledge of football from people I've been around. I said to myself, you know, who can teach engagement and disengagement better than a wrestling coach? Mm-hmm. That's what they do. That's all right, they do. Right, yeah. And I got into it. I called it joint manipulation. I mean, I, I can get in a rip position. All I got to do is pull in your bicep. And if mm-hmm. you hold on to me, 
I dislocate your shoulder. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, I can get in a position where, you know, I, I put that elbow in a, in a compromising situation, <laughs> I can break it. But I called it joint manipulation, mm. you know, and how to hit the hip. Mm. You don't just, you know, pick a guy, you, you pound that dang hip because that hip is a, is a vital, mm-hmm. you know, oh, mechanism. Oh, yeah. it'll, it'll go. Right. And it goes easily. So uh, if, if we were standing up here, I could show you all that stuff. But, <laughs> I don't know if I want you to go after yeah. me like that. <laughs> but, but that's, but that's you know, right. joint manipulation because they change, they, they hold it as legalized. Right, right. And then the other thing that happened was these offensive linemen got, got these uh, tight jerseys. Yeah. And they put two-way carpet tape on the inside of them. Really? So, so the jerseys are, are matted down to the shoulder pads. There's nothing to grab hold of anymore. <laughs> sometimes in pass rush, you can't just grab a jersey like right. you used to could. There's nothing to grab hold of. You got to manipulate. You got to threaten him. I'm going to break your shoulder. I'm going to break your elbow or even your wrist. You know, you work the chess game. Over. Just the chess game. Yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, we take you know, that things you know, we work on all the time. Mm. And so, uh, but I got that, a lot of that stuff from wrestling yeah. coaches. Awesome. I mean, so, but the, anyway, I've, I've had a good career and, yeah. you know, I've, I've been around some good people. Yeah, for sure. I, I want to talk specifically. We'll move into your the first stint at South Carolina, 89 and 98. And obviously just off the top of my head, I mean, you coach some great players in that stint. Corey Robinson, who I, I've had on the show. John Abraham, who I've had on the show. You're, you're talking about Corey Miller. Or Corey Miller. Yeah, yeah, my bad. Corey Miller. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, coach some great players in that tenure. You were under, you know, talked about Sparky Woods, under Brad Scott. I mean, we just – you know, I'll let you expand on it as much as you want, but you're, you're, I have to imagine, you know, it had to be so interesting, your first stint at Carolina versus your second stint. I mean, things change, obviously, but just how much they had changed. But that first stint specifically, just talk about that because, again, App was your first coaching job, but your first SEC job, and you were part of, you know, the team that they transitioned from independent right. to SEC. Just, you know, again, expand as much as you want just about your time at Carolina. You were there a long time, and obviously I know under Coach Scott it didn't necessarily end the way you wanted, but – Obviously, we don't have a ton of success and come back. But just, just talk about a little bit about that first stand at Carolina. The first time, uh, of course, you know, I was very excited to, to be at South Carolina and and because uh, it was the, the first major university that I coached at. Mm-hmm. And you, you came in – sorry, now I cut you off. You came in immediately after Coach Morrison's right. passing, right? Yeah, right. Off, just crazy. In fact, and I remember, you know, Sparky's very first uh, staff meeting because there was like a seven or eight – day period in between when he got the job mm-hmm. and when uh, I ended up coming and, and really most of us ended up, you know, getting hired there. And he had been around the team enough and, and, and it, things were, you know, Coach Morrison had the way he did things and, you know, what a great coach he was here, mm-hmm. you know, for the Gamecocks. But things were kind of loose mm-hmm. and they all lived up there in the, in the roost <laughs> and it was different. And uh, as soon as we got there, Sparky said, I want all the coaches to go through the dorm tonight and try to get to know some of the kids. Well, there was all kind of f- funny smelling stuff. <laughs> there was there was bottles everywhere. I mean, just kidding, and guys, and, and you, you walk in a kid's room, hey, coach, how you doing, you know? <laughs> and so after being up there for about an hour and a half, we had a staff meeting that night at midnight. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget this, and it proved to be true, but Sparky – he told us the staff, he said, guys, he said, y'all seen kind of what we're staring down right now. And he said, I really wish I were the next head coach here. <laughs> y'all knew y'all had to do the dirty work, basically. Yeah, that's what we got yeah. hired for. Yeah. And we did. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there was a lot of 
that's the way it was. Yeah. And we, and we had some good, you know, good older talent, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, Todd Ellis, Corey Miller, mm-hmm. uh, Ike Harris. I mean, I mean, there were, there was some good older talent mm-hmm. and, but the younger kids, a lot of the younger ones just weren't, it wasn't there. But when, when we joined the SEC, a lot of people were really, Oh, this is great. You know, all this. And, and, and it was, it turned out to be a great thing for South Carolina, but it just took a lot of time. Right. But we were sitting there in a meeting with, man, we, we don't have SEC caliber players <laughs> across the board. Right. Right. You know, our, our older guys, I thought were, you know, they, I mean, they were that caliber, but not the all the way across the board. Right. And so we went through the growing pains and recruiting. We had some good classes, saw some good kids. Mm. You know, and then watched them later on when the thing first bowl game in South Carolina history. <laughs> and I, I was on that staff when we beat West mm-hmm. Virginia. But it, that was, you know, it was a different time. Mm-hmm. I know we're playing Tennessee this week. I was mm-hmm. talking to I got a friend of mine earlier today. You know, Tennessee was always on uh, Halloween weekend. Yeah, yeah. Always. And it's so unusual to see Tennessee in September now. <laughs> yeah. And well, crazy year, yeah, for sure. I mean, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's so different. And but it just, you know, we we didn't have the athletes that all right. those people did, but we got we got them. We mm-hmm. we worked at it and worked at it. And Coach Scott came in and mm-hmm. and uh, we kept working at it. And, and, and things just we never got the the corner turn, you know, with him. And he's Brad. You know, I think Brad's a good football coach. And but it was just, but that was his first head coaching job. Mm-hmm. You know, his first head jobs are different now. Yeah. And I was fortunate, you know, I got a chance to, I wanted to stay. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had opportunities to go other places, but I wanted to stay here. Mm-hmm. And I, this would become my adopted home. My mm-hmm. kids grew up here. My wife was uh, a teacher here. And so uh, a lot of our friends, in fact, when we came back the second time, you know, a lot of our friends that, that we had been around while we were here, you know, they they were still here. Mm-hmm. And some of my best friends right now uh, live out in Lexington and uh, different parts of the state. Mm-hmm. You know, this is my adopted home. I'm from North Carolina, but this is this is home mm-hmm. for sure. So you, you talked about Coach Holtz. I know we, we talked a little bit before uh, off air, and you said you wanted to stay. Just just talk, what were the initial conversations? Because obviously you were very familiar with Coach Holtz, his successes at Notre Dame and everything right. else. But what, what were those conversations <clears throat> like with Coach Holtz about? The potential. I mean, again, it worked out because I, I do want to talk to you about going to Michigan State and Coach yeah. Saban and everything. But you know, and yeah. the thing about Coach Holston again, you know, he's a legend, yeah, coach, and Hall of, yeah, Hall of Famer, absolutely. And, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to stay was to learn from him. Yeah, and I had a good conversation with him, and you know, he asked a lot of questions, and I did too. Mm-hmm. And I just realized you know, it wasn't going to be something that was going to work. But he was very fair to me, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and he got things turned around here, which mm-hmm. my hat's off to him, and mm-hmm. beat Ohio State in that outback ball. I think that's a hat yeah. right now. <laughs> yep. And uh, I didn't earn this hat. I got this. <laughs> I, got this I got this from Chris. But, <laughs> I didn't earn it either. So. So, <laughs> so, but uh, you know that. But it was a good conversation, and you know, it, it's he had you know ideas of what he wanted his program, you know, direction want to go, and that's the head coach's prerogative, and so be it. Yeah. And, uh, I also had a chance to go to Michigan State yeah. with Coach Saban, and I wanted to enhance my football knowledge mm. on defense. I kind of pigeonholed myself into being a defensive guy, which is fine. It's what I wanted to do. 
and I just everybody I talked to, he was the best in the country. Mm -hmm. at, yeah. you know, with well, defense. Long run that seat that turned to be true. <laughs> right. For so sure. I, so I went to work, you know, for Coach Saban and I and I was his recruiting coordinator too mm. up there in Michigan. I brought kind of how we did things down here mm. uh with me. And uh he liked that the SEC a, a approach mm. to recruiting and uh so you know, I ended up staying up there when, when he left. I could have gone to LSU with him. Mm. And I didn't. Don't regret that. It was a family decision. Mm. And uh, so uh, then I left there and went to North Carolina. And my dad had gotten sick, and mm. so I needed to get back home. Right. And so I took a job at University of North Carolina and, and mm. worked for John Bunning there. In fact, I just talked to him last week. You know, what a unique person. Mm. I've never seen a man love his university more than John Bunning did. He would – he would not take a raise mm. and have that money doled out to the assistant coaches every year. He never took a raise because mm. he loved, awesome. he loved his universities. I, I mean, I, you don't see that anymore, <laughs> no. you know, and, and what a unique man. And he had been uh, with Philadelphia Eagles. He's a linebacker for 11 or 12 years. Mm. In fact, he told me a story when they made it to the Super Bowl. coach Vermeil was the head coach. And mm. he said, we lost the game. And he said, I'm sitting in a chair in the, in the shower. I said, I'm naked. Then the shower's coming down. I said, I'm sitting there crying because mm. we lost. And a dang rookie came up to him. He said, said uh, Mr. Bunning, said, don't worry about it. So we'll be, we'll be back here next year. He said, I just looked up at him. And I said, man, you have no idea how hard it is to get here. Mm. He said, I, I've spent 10, 11 years trying to get here. He said, you have no idea. Coach Bunny, I, I really enjoyed working right. with him. And then when I got the chance to come back to Sacramento, Coach Spurrier, mm -hmm. you know, I did. But, uh, I, I want to ask you, we, we, we can move into that because, you know, I don't want to keep you too long. We could just go all day. But working for Coach Spurrier, again, he, I mean, obviously everybody knew Coach Spurrier and his, you know, his uh, reputation preceded him at Florida. He took the job at South Carolina after Coach Holtz. And I just think it's really interesting because, you know, it sounds like definitely the first time you were at Carolina, you were trying to change the culture. And that's exactly what Coach Spurrier was trying to do again. So when you got here, it was almost like doing it again, not to the level. I mean, Lou Holtz had obviously, you know, risen the standard and the expectation. Things were, I know, in a much better place when you got here the second time. Right. But working for Coach Spurrier, again, he's he's such an offensive guy and he's so hands-off defensively. I mean, what, what was the dynamic like, you know, working <laughs> under him as a defensive coach? Well, and I'm going to say this, you know, a lot of people would agree with what you just said. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to throw some, some, something out there a lot of people don't know. But the year he was uh, took off in football after being with the Redskins, mm -hmm. he made a list of things that he hated seeing as an offensive coach. Mm -hmm. And that thing was put on a board and was in our defensive room. And that was at South Carolina? Yeah, saying. South Carolina. Okay. Yeah. All the stuff that he hated seeing <laughs> from defenses was on that. Right. And he would come in from time to time and say, they all know what that board's there for. And he'd say, are we doing this right here? <laughs> are we doing this right here? Look yeah. at number seven. You know, he loved having middle field safety. He said, look at that. He said, I'm the head coach. He said, I do want, you know, y'all do right. doing defense. Right. But the structure, I want these things involved. So, I mean, a lot of people never knew that. Right. So he was really a lot more involved than what people think. But mm. I mean, he would leave us alone. Yeah. And, and and let us game plan and get things done, you know. Uh, and you know, with, with Coach Spurrier, 
one of the reasons I came here. I mean, I came here for a lot of reasons. Right. I came back, but I said, we'll always score points. <laughs> <laughs> said, Take the pressure off the defense. <laughs> yeah. and, and we had some years we didn't score a lot of points. Right. But, uh, I mean, it was a great experience. And you mentioned when we first came in here at the uh, Alabama game at, uh, in 2010. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was – I've still got the picture on my in my wall, mm. in my little man cave or whatever. Yeah. And that is a – I mean, that's really the one that I think that that was like – you know, I would say 09 Ole Miss kind of – that was the one that kind of – but that, that 10 Alabama game solidified. The, the corner has been turned, like you right. said. The corner's been turned. And I think our expectations, you know, in, you know were increasing. It got to be – and I don't mean this in a bad way because mm. it's always a big game at Clemson. I mean, our kids had so much confidence playing against them mm -hmm. just because of going through an SEC schedule. Yeah. And then you play them at the end of the season. Our kids knew that they had been tested. Mm -hmm. And playing Clemson at the, back then, it was like, okay. You know, and, and that's why, you know, I think a lot of games ended up like they did. Right. Of course, I know that table's been turned right now. And, and Dabo has done a great job. I mean, I, re I recognize when the guy's doing a good yeah. job. And uh, so, you know, the SEC and and everything about it, you know, Coach Spurrier, he had been there so long, mm -hmm. having played in that league, you know, having, you know, coached in that league. I mean, he had a good grasp of everything. Mm -hmm. You know, a couple of things I remember about him. The Auburn game, when we, we played him tight, mm -hmm. and we just couldn't quite get over the hump against him. And our fans, you know, were cheering us at the end of the game. Oh six, right? Yeah. yeah, coming off the field. That's a Thursday night game. Yeah, I mean, he chastised our fans right after that. He said, "I don't know why you're clapping." He said, "We're trying to win." We're not just trying to play good. We're trying to yeah. win. And he made a statement right then by, by saying that was, you know, we, "We're we're doing it. It's a different standard here." Yeah, and I and another thing I remember, and I asked Steve Jr. one time, I said. Why did your dad always beat Kentucky so bad? Because <laughs> man, he was wearing Kentucky yeah. as a kid. Oh yeah. And he said, "Well, he, he said, well, who's the coach?" I said, "Well, Bill Curry was the head coach." He said, "Well, he said, let me tell you the story." He said, "When my dad first got in the coaching, he was at Georgia Tech, mm -hmm. and Coach Curry came in, and my dad wanted to stay at Georgia Tech, and my dad was the the quarterback coach, or whatever." Mm -hmm. He said. Coach Curry called my dad in and said, listen, I'm not going to keep you. He said, I just don't think you're quarterback coaching material. Wow. <laughs> he oh, said, gosh. He said, so every time Yikes. We, would play, <laughs> we would play Kentucky while Coach Curry was there, my dad made sure that he ate it. Coach Curry ate his words Lord. on that one. I mean, because he'd lead the first team in forever. Right, right. I mean, I, I just I always wondered about that. I mean, I can tell stories about Coach Spurrier. Oh, yeah. And they're all positive. Yeah. I mean, I mean what a unique person. I, I want to ask you one specific story because we were talking about Eric Norwood earlier, and he, he's a guy I had on the show before. And one of my, my favorite stories when he was there, and he, we kind of expanded on it, was uh, the time where he kicked the defense out of practice. And, and that was the goon squad defense. You know, right. you were talking about just the, the, the nastiness, the tenacity of those guys. But, you know, Norwood was saying, you know, they they just they beat up on the offensive guys and it ticked Spurrier off. And yeah. obviously there was one practice where he literally kicked them all out and they were you know, Norwood was saying, Hey, screw it, we'll go home. I don't care, whatever. Like well, I mean, did that happen a lot? Like I had to imagine it had to be some good battles in practice with there, offense and defense. As we got better as a team, there right. were the battles were good. We had some kids on defense 
and had recruited it. Remember, I saw my demeanor. Mm. I mean, they took a lot of pride in what they did and everything yeah. they did. It was all like the goon squad was all attitude. That's right. it felt like it was all attitude. Well, I'll give you uh, DJ Swearinger. This is a heck of a story. We're playing Clemson. Mm. And do you remember when he hit that kid from Clemson? And oh yeah, hell yeah, yeah. oh yeah. Hit, you know <laughs> who could forget? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, and I'd recruited DJ and was really close to him. And uh, I was on the sideline. And you know you're responsible for the guys you recruit, oh, as well yeah. as the ones you coach. And when he did that, and the yellow flags just came yeah. out everywhere. Oh, yeah. I started on the field. I was going to get him. Yeah. What, what are you doing? You know, and Coach Spurs grabbed me by the elbow. He said, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> he said, it's okay. Because he knew it. I, I was headed out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said, it's okay. Because <laughs> he, he knew that the attitude. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, that's the kind of kids we had. Yeah. And we cultivated that with them. And you look at some of them guys. I mean, I used to call them throat slashers. I mean, they, they would – they get in your face and make you like it. Mm. When you were at Carolina, obviously, again, 06 to 12, I mean, the, the, the defenses – I mean, the team as a whole, but the defenses went from being good and then above average, then elite. I mean, was it – is it as simple as just the recruiting just got that much – I mean, obviously, the talent got better. I mean, you bring in a guy like Clowney, you're bringing in guys, like we said, like Chaz Sutton, Travian Rock, like the, the recruiting did get better. But was it as simple as that, or did like was the what, did well, you think the culture changed finally? Like the corner got turned, like you're saying, or it's it's really a combination of both. And I'll say this, we went through a period here in the state of South Carolina in a lot of the outlying areas, you know, the, the border part of North Carolina and Georgia, <laughs> where there were so many players. Mm-hmm. I mean, the state of South Carolina had a run of players. Yeah, just insane. Yeah. I mean, and they were they were all difference makers. I mean, they were all. I mean, they're in the NFL most, yeah. a lot of them. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, they were really, really good players. I mean, Melvin Ingram, you know, I know he's from Rockingham, North Carolina, mm. but Rockingham's are a stone's throw from the state yeah. line. Mm. You know, Travis Robertson's Larnberg, you know. Mm. And, and then uh, the Rock Hill pipeline was just oh, insane. Yeah. I mean. And so uh, I've got two little neat stories about both those kind of deals, but. The combination of talent being available close by, and we were in the process of doing good, mm-hmm. and we got them all. I mean, we didn't <laughs> we didn't lose anybody. Yeah, I mean, I remember. Y'all flipped a lot of them from Clemson. Like I remember Devontae Holloman; he yep. was a Clemson commit, and other guys were considering. And y'all, y'all, I mean, like you said, you snagged them all. I mean, I mean, and it's you know, it, the whole thing was just we got them all, <laughs> and and there was enough. You know, there's really not enough talent in the state of South Carolina for everybody because mm-hmm. it's a small state. Oh, yeah. The town's awesome, yeah. but it's just a small state. Mm-hmm. It's nobody's fault. And so those years there, there was a lot of great players mm-hmm. and we, we nailed everything one of them. So the talent is huge, but the culture started changing where our kids again expected. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, I remember the first time through in the SEC, it's all, you know, we're playing Tennessee or we're playing so-and-so. Yeah. By the time I come back, it's, it don't matter. Yeah. You know, because again, that, that's who you're going to play every week. Yeah. You, you learn that's what it is. And so, uh, you know, it's both of those things. I was going to tell you a couple stories first. Mm-hmm. With, uh, and I've told this quite a few times, but, you know, Travian, Scotland County is a, a stone's throw from the state line. Mm-hmm. Rockingham's a stone's throw from the state line, where Melbourne's at. And, and then Cliff Matthews was from Sherall, mm-hmm. which was about a stone's throw to the North Carolina state line. Mm-hmm. 
And so most people in the recruiting process would see all three of those guys on the same day because it was just so easy. You could mm -hmm. do it in a car. You didn't need a plane or anything. You just boom, boom, boom. Right. See all three of them. And I'd been in to see them like on a Monday or Tuesday. And then and the NC State was heavily involved with them, mm -hmm. and especially Cliff. And Coach Amato came in there, and he's lifting weights. He always liked to lift weights. With, yeah, with his, Amato's with a legend. That's yeah. a that's a legend yeah, for sure. Recruits and everything. So he did a great job at NC State getting mm -hmm. them turned. Yeah. But bottom line is, Cliff called me that night. When Coach Amato had been there, and he said, "Coach," he said, "I think I made up my mind where I'm going." I said, "Well, where?" He said, I'm coming to South Carolina to play, play, you know, play for you. And I said, what kind of turn the table or, you know, or made you the final decision? He said, well, Coach Amato came by today, and he told me that I should stay in state. Mm -hmm. Does that matter? You're good. No, you're good. You're good. He said, he told me I should stay in state. And I, I made up mind, that's what I'm going to do. Coach Amato had gotten confused. He had been in Rockingham and Laurenburg earlier in the day in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. When in Charlotte, he thought he was still in North Carolina. Oh, gosh. He told the kid. <laughs> told him, cause Cliff Matt, he told me. He said, Coach, see, he told me to stay in state. Said, That's what I'm going to do. God. Then he went and terrorized NC State <laughs> with the club on it. I think it was the club on his hand that game. Yeah. Well, you know, when I got the picture of uh, him and Jordan Lindsay when they knocked out Russell Wilson. Yeah. I mean, that was on the front pages of the paper. Yeah, and took him out. They sounced him. Yeah. <laughs> and it, I've got that in my little man cave, too. That's yeah. that picture. But, oh. Uh, and we had enough of Jordan Lindsay's that, that kind of attitude too. Yeah. Was, I mean, those are some scrap. The Lindsay twins were just scrappy guys. Oh, well, like, yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, I, they were really good football players, but you know, scrappy, mean, hard nose. Mm -hmm. You know, my, my my only worry with those guys was I didn't want to come to work one morning and find out that they had done something they shouldn't have. Been I, doing. I heard. I heard they like to have a good time. Well, let's, I, let's put it lightly. And, <laughs> and, and and they didn't want anybody. Then, you know. Don't test them. Yeah, oh yeah. I was getting a bar fight. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. if you test them, you, <laughs> you know that's just the way you know they were. And, but uh, that that story and then the one about the you talk about the Rock Hill connection. Yeah, we had we had just beaten. We were going to the SEC championship game. We just beaten Clemson, and the next week we we're going to Atlanta play Auburn. Of course, they that game right there. They Cam Newton out. turned into Superman. Man, that's all you can really say. He, he did. <laughs> And we didn't we didn't help matters anyway right. on defense. But bottom line is, I, I told Coach Fur, I said, you know, I need to see all these guys because that Sunday was the very first day you can see kids. Mm. I said, we got all these defense linemen in the state. I need to go see them. You know, he's. I said, can I have them playing? He said, sure. So I got to the school playing. We went down one place here in the state, and then we were turning around. We were headed to Rock Hill, and all of a sudden, uh, the plane you know, started having problems. Wow. So we finally, we made it, we we're going to make an emergency landing in Florence, but we ended up making it. Uh, we got, we got back to Owens field there in Columbia. So I hopped in the car and it went, you know, it's all clowning the Dixons, all those kids that later at night, and it was well worth it. But then later on in recruiting, uh, Lorenzo Ward and myself were in the, the plane mm -hmm. and we were at 23,000 feet in his winter time and, and the windshield shattered. Good Lord. I still got the, the glass in, in my house. I got a little bag of it. Wow. And so our pilot, is, uh, Larry, I forget Larry's last name. Might be, I'm not sure. Anyway, 
Larry turned around and he said, he said, if that, if that bag falls down, he said, get it on your face immediately. And he was serious as could be. Mm. I mean, it's shattered. And you can see the, the, because I know these, these planes, they have two windshields. Right. But it was pulsating like this. It was getting ready to come right. in. And so everybody, we got quiet and when we finally landed, we made a mercy landing in Raleigh. And when we landed, I asked Larry, I said, Larry, I said, why did you tell us to get those masks on as soon as possible? He said, he said, we were at 23,000 feet and there's no oxygen. He said, so if it, that happened, you had 10 seconds to get that thing on or you weren't even going to be, you had, would have no control of your hands. And I thought, oh my gosh. And so uh, they gave me a bag of that uh, glass. That's and, just uh, stuff you never hear about. Like, uh, I don't think that, that was never reported. Right? Yeah, well, it made, oh, was it? Okay. It, I, it, it made the news. I don't remember that. I, dang, that's but, crazy. Yeah, it was. And so, uh, yep, those planes, nobody <laughs> would fly with because I just had the thing with the plane, you know, having the engine drove right. the Sunday uh, after the Clemson game. And then I had that one like three weeks oh, later. You're bad luck, man. Oh, I couldn't get in. <laughs> nobody fly with me. Golly. I mean, nobody fly with me. <laughs> You go ahead and fly, so I'm driving. I, I want to ask you, but we got to talk about Jadavion Clowney. Okay. I mean, it's, you know, the most decorated, you know, one of the most decorated South Carolina defensive players of all time. I mean, I'll just ask you simply, is he the best, def- like, pass rusher defensive lineman you've ever coached? I mean, I mean, you've obviously coached, you know, John Abraham, who's going to be a Hall of Famer. Right. But, I mean, is he, is, is he the best, would you say, or is it somebody else? J.D. is the most talented. Mm. And I was with him just for two years now right. in Florida. But he still he still haven't touched, hasn't touched the, the what he can be. Mm. But he was the most talented, and yes, I could do things with him that I've never been able to do with anybody else mm. because of the length, the strength. <clears throat> I mean, he's strong without him lifting weights. I mean, he bullied people. I mean, really. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't even have. I mean, weight room to him. Right. He only know if he goes there. But, you know, <laughs> that, that body is just. Yeah. I mean, that's. And again, if you've ever met his dad, you'd know where he got it from. Right. He looks just like his dad. Really? So, but yeah, he's, he's really good. Right. Randy Sanders, who I coached with at uh, Florida State. Randy used to be at uh, Kentucky and in Tennessee. He told me one time when I first went to FSU, he said, he said, Brad, he said, Jadevian Clowney is still the prettiest football player I've ever seen in my was life. Was good getting off the bus. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and of course, we had some good ones. I mean, Again, when you have some first-round draft picks, mm. it's a big deal. But J.D., he had a goal because when we recruited him, I said, J.D., I said, nobody has ever been the number one player in the country coming out of high school and been the first player taken in the draft. Adrian Peterson was the closest one to it. He was like the number three guy taken in the draft that year. And so that was kind of a goal for him. Mm. And I remind him of that, you know, from time to time. And we had our, our differences, I mean – my first four or five weeks with him, I mean, we've had to come to Jesus talk several times. You know, I said, I said, you just got to understand. I said, Daddy, I'm not changing. Mm. I said, I told you this in recruiting. I said, I'm not for everybody. He said, man, you just always picking on him. I said, I ain't picking on him. I said, I recognize greatness, and I'm trying to make you great. Mm-hmm. I said, if I don't make you, I said, you came here because you want to be the best you could be. Mm-hmm. You told me that. Your mama told me that. And so that's what we're trying to do. You know, and he'd leave be okay with it, but he just – I mean, I've had several sit-downs with him in my office where it, it could have gone bad for Coach Lawin. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, you know, and I respect J.D. tremendously. Mm-hmm. But uh, 
Yeah, he, he's a great talent. Mm -hmm. And just the things he was able he, – it changed the perception of our program, too. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Anytime, anytime you get guys like that that are the best player in your state, but also nationally, you know, everybody it's, – it's, it's a cool place to go to now. Mm -hmm. For sure. I, I want to ask you, obviously, again, you went to, what, Florida 13 to 14, and then you went to Florida State. I, I mean – Again, you can go into as much detail as you want. You know, everybody's curious what – and I, at least I'm curious. Maybe it was out there. But what made you, you know, in the middle of that? Because 13, obviously, was a fantastic year. Clowney senior year. Connor Shaw senior year. junior year. Or ju junior, excuse me. Yeah, yeah. His last year is what I meant. Um, and then 14 things – you know, we kind of know how it all went, trended, you know, towards uh, Coach Spurrier's resignation. But what was the reason for the jump for you to go to, and, and, a, and a really a lateral move from, you know, Carolina to another SECE school? Like, was it you just wanted a new challenge or like, and again, you can go into as much detail or as little as you like. No, it, it, it was, it was time for me to start looking at some other things. And, and again, Florida was, I mean, they gave me a hundred thousand dollar race. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's I mean, definitely part of it. The money, I mean, it's definitely part of it. I mean, I mean I'll tell people that it's right here, you right. know, Somebody gave you that big raise, would you not, <laughs> would you not go? Yeah. Would you not think about it? And you got to get it while you can. I mean, you got to yeah. get it while you and can. And I was older, you yeah. know, and I didn't know how much longer Coach Spurrier was going to hang around. Because I would ask him every year. Really? Because it, it, I was really the only guy that impacted who else did too. But, you know, we were the, we were the older guys on the staff. And I'd ask else. I mean, I mean, uh, Coach Spurrier, I'd say, how much longer are you going to coach? He said, Brad, as long as the recruiting is going good and win. And he said, I'm, I'm having fun. He said, I'm, uh, I'm going to keep doing this. But I know he was getting a little bit older, mm -hmm. yeah. and it just. You know, and he had been there a while at that point. I mean, you know, and yeah. I, his end date for when he wanted to probably finish coaching wasn't my end date, mm -hmm. and uh, then I got the, the opportunity with Will, mm -hmm. and I didn't pursue it. Right. He, yeah. hey, I'm assuming he had pursued you, yes. right? Yeah, he called yeah, absolutely. me. Absolutely. And it's something I'd always kind of thought about because I knew, uh, you know, Will and I had to. We knew each other because of Coach Saban. Mm. And, you know, I got that opportunity. It was just time. Yeah. And then, I, again, I didn't realize our offense was not very good at Florida. Right. You know, we had to, we had defense. We were good. I mean, I had Dante Fowler. Oh, yeah. You had some studs on those Florida Tom defenses. Dominic Easley. Yeah. John John Bullard. <laughs> I mean, had some dang great players. And uh, yeah, it had to be fun. Yeah. And <laughs> enjoy, with, enjoy coaching. Coaching those guys. And, but the, you know, the thing – we just weren't very good on offense, and we struggled. I mean, we, we lost some games. Well, like the Tennessee game, we won, we won that day, but I think we beat them like 14 to 3. I, I remember that game. Yeah. <laughs> it was crazy low scoring. You yeah. know, and we just – we won a lot of games like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was it was never – I remember uh, one of the offensive coaches, I was in the box, you know, so I could identify, you know, run protection and you know, pass protection and run blocking. One of the offense coaches in the box asked me before the game, he said, uh, can you hold him to 10? <laughs> I, I didn't say a word. And I'm just sitting there. I'm just, I just got to shoot me out. I'm oh, my God. <laughs> that's not, Asking you to basically pitch a shutout every yeah, week. Yeah. I said, that's not easy to do. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, can you hold him to 10? And I just, I was like, wow. I wasn't exactly what I thought this was going to be. <laughs> Was was there expressed interest from Coach Muschamp when he got the job here for you to come back? Or I, I know a lot of people. Your your name was certainly you know the coaching circuit. We everybody's always trying to speculate. You know, your name was certainly brought up, and uh, 
you know, I, I know you talked about kind of some health stuff and, you know, and you, we tried to go back to Georgia State. But, I mean, was your was there any expressed interest from him to have you come back to Carolina and coach under his staff here? We had talked a little bit, but I was at Florida State. Right. And Jimbo Fisher, you know, had given me that opportunity there. And I really liked Tallahassee. Right. And I'll just say this right here. It's probably the second most favorite place I've ever worked. Right. I mean, and, I mean, and, and again, the league helped. Yeah. I mean, the ACC, I mean. This was pre-Clemson, like, what, right. blowing up or whatever. Yeah. But, you know, the league helped. <laughs> the thing about that league, if you can't rush the quarterback, you have no chance. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you, you just look at all the quarterbacks that have come out through the ACC in mm -hmm. the past, you know, seven, eight, nine years. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. I mean, just look at the NFL. Yeah. They're everywhere. And so, uh, you know, just, I mean, that whole league was just, I mean, they were throwing the football around. And, I mean, like I said, Jimbo was really good to me. And uh, Charles Kelly, our defense coordinator I worked for, Charles at Alabama now. Charles and I got to be really close. Mm. And he was, uh, he, he gave me a lot of uh, autonomy. He did a lot of things at the defensive front that I wanted to do. Mm. And he knew that's one reason Jimbo would hire me too. Mm -hmm. So, but I, I was, I never, I never thought that Jimbo would leave, mm -hmm. but I understand why he did. You know, $75 million, 10 years, <laughs> you know, that's, that's hard it's, not to. Yeah. And so I think that, uh, you know, it just, I felt, I felt really comfortable with everything that was going on there mm -hmm. in Tallahassee. And if Jimbo was still there, I'd still be there. Mm -hmm. I'd probably still be coaching. Right. I guess, you know, and, uh, but that's why I had that first, my very first health scare. Right. I mean, I was speaking at the South Carolina clinic and uh, Jimbo and I both were speaking at the clinic that, that July. And I got through my first session and I didn't feel good. Mm -hmm. I didn't make it to the steps and I was gone. Really? And I was, I was bleeding to death inside. And I, I've got a couple ulcers and all that, you know, but this, this profession, it could cause Right, right, that. right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but yeah. Uh, Will, if I'd pursued it enough, mm -hmm. I mean, he knew I was comfortable at yeah, Florida State. Yeah. And he had, had a good, you had a good job. I mean, yeah, yeah and he had some ideas. I mean, he, you know, Lance Thompson was a name, and, and you know, yeah, he coached with Lance before too. And so, I mean, it's mm -hmm. no, I mean, and Will and I are fine. I mean, I love Will. Right. Yeah. I mean, you'll never hear me say anything negative about mm -hmm. him. I mean, I, I mean, he gave me a, a great opportunity down in, in Gainesville. And, I think he's, you know, it's a tough deal right now because yeah. of where Clemson is. And Georgia. I mean, and Georgia. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're sitting there. And then UNC, we just thought with Mac Brown. Yeah. I mean, he's just, you're surrounded, you know. Yeah. But that's, you know, that's what this league is. Right. And that's what ball is in the South. Yeah. That's why they didn't, the ACC and the SEC didn't hesitate about playing this season. Yeah. That's uh, yeah, 100%. Is. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's, you say SEC, you know, you say football. You say ACC. <laughs> You're really saying football a lot now, too. Yeah. It's not just basketball. Mm. You know, when you've got, uh, you know, North Carolina's getting better and, you know, some of those teams, Virginia Tech, Virginia, uh, and, and on and on and on. I was really kind of shocked when I read the internet this morning about uh, Notre Dame and Wake not playing this week. Yeah, postponing it. And so that's going to be an issue all during the year. Yeah, it's going to be one of those – I mean, it's just going to be a weird year, obviously. I, I want to ask you, because you, you mentioned something about Coach Spurrier going back to that, just saying that, you know, he – and he kind of – he was – I mean, the thing with Coach Spurrier, he was so blunt about it, which I, I really appreciate it as a, just – I think fans appreciate how 
like you said, the whole thing with the Auburn game, like don't clap. And I mean, he was just a very honest guy, you know. Um, but I want to ask you, he said he's going to be there as long as we're winning. He said, as long as we're winning, as long as recruiting is going good, which you said. I, I mean, a lot of people, because, you know, 14, it sort of slipped and you saw it on the defensive side more than anything. You saw it on the defensive side. And then 15, we all know what happened. I mean, Everybody loves to point the finger at Coach Brown. I'm still someone – I'm very – I mean, I, I tell you, my, my, my best years as a fan of South Carolina football came with – so I'm very – I'm not one that likes – because we have a lot of fans that love to jump on the – the you know, they try to come after Coach Spurrier. And I, I don't know, I just look at it as like I, I know how it ended, but I'm grateful for the, the memories. But where – if you could – everybody loves to put it all on him. But where, where did it – I mean, do you did you see it have like this recruiting slipping or like – I mean, where – It wasn't really slipping at the time. Right. You know, I think maybe it did somewhat later. But, right. You know, for, for people to, to criticize Coach Spurrier – I know all coaches get criticized. Right, right. But for people to be negative about him, shame on those people. Yeah. I mean, I mean he, he did so much for the oh, university. I, I mean, mean just – he did stuff that people don't even realize. Mm. I mean, I mean, he just—he truly changed the culture. I'm hundred and ten percent. And and I remember my probably my first game with him. He came up to me on the and then sideline. We were stopping and making it was all over game. I think it wasn't first game, but anyway, we were making making them kick field goals. Mm. They couldn't score a touch. They had to drive the ball downfield. We weren't very. <laughs> we were still trying to get good. Right. Young. And they'd drive down about 20, and we'd hold them, they kick them. <laughs> them, but don't break. <laughs> yeah. But, but, you know, that's not him. He wants that ball. He likes calling plays. Mm. He came up to me on the sideline, and I heard somebody kind of nudge me. He said, hey, Brad, he said, the next time a defensive lineman makes a play, come over and tap me on the shoulder and tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> that's classic him. Oh, God. That was his way of saying, you know, hey, let's, let's do yeah. a little bit better than yeah. just holding the field. <laughs> but I love him. him he's he, – uh. Jerry, his wife is uh, best. This had the best coach's wife in college football, yeah, right? Yeah. She was in, they were in town this past week. Right. My wife and Jerry and some of the other uh, wives that were here then they went out and had uh, they ate somewhere. I forget where it was at. Right. Yeah, it's Jerry's burger has been been fantastic. All right, and obviously they've got their their name on that shiny new practice facility. And I kind of just want to ask you in talking, like you said, Tennessee's this weekend, but just overall the again, you saw South Carolina football late 80s, early 90s, and to see what it is now with the facilities and the upgrades. And, you know, I tell people, I, you know, I think that, you know, you talked about there was that great run of high school talent that you got. And that, that certainly attributes a lot to that success from really 09 to 13. But, I mean, realistically, you see it happening in Clemson. And I, I know a lot of fans saying, I say as well, I, I don't see any reason why. It's tough. I, I don't see any reason why South Carolina with the facilities and the money and in the best conference in the country, great fans. I think there's enough talent. Why South Carolina can't be a, you know, an eight to nine win a year program every two or three years. You know, either you, either you catch lightning in a bottle or you've got a senior team or the, the schedule plays out. You know, you're competing for SEC titles. And obviously that's what they're working towards getting to right now. But I'll just ask you, how crazy is it to see how how much better things have gotten in South Carolina? And obviously Coach Holtz and Coach Brady, even go back to Sparky, like those guys all contributed to that. We always uh... – Thought every time they would tear down one of those warehouses around the stadium, mm -hmm. we just got better. <laughs> because it was uh, not a very appealing farmers market. I mean, you'd think that was there at one I time. Like, I mean, it was not a very appealing, right? Aesthetic place to, to play. I mean, it was in the middle of the warehouses, like I said, mm -hmm. farmers. It, 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 that's what it was. Yeah. And the fact, concrete jungle. That's in, what they <laughs> in, fact, in fact, we got to the point 
we would not even take, I mean, I was here when the roundhouse was here. Oh yeah. And we would not even take recruits to the roundhouse. They didn't even know that was a part of the campus because it was so bad. And we did all of our meetings with the head coach in one of the cockabooses. Mm. Wow. Because I mean, it was, it was right. so bad, yeah. you know, and, and then the, the Floyd building that, and that was a great thing Eddie did, you know, donating, you know, that money, but it, I mean, it, it was a band aid. Yeah. You know, you look around, but that's what SEC money will do for you right there. And ACC money. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, the TV money is phenomenal. And that's where all this expansion has been made possible. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's I mean, amazing. you just look around, you're just like, wow, this is insane. Well, like, when, I, when I was here, here was a typical day. We would have meetings underneath the stadium mm-hmm. where uh, the meeting rooms were back then. Mm-hmm. They leaked. If it rained hard, you had water coming through. I mean, they, they, they kept replacing that ceiling tile. I don't know how many times, you know, there'd be dead animals, bats and cats up in there. I mean, you see something rotten, something up in the ceiling tile. I mean, I, I remember one time and then cat fell through. It, oh God. There's a dead cat that fell through. The oh tile. my God. That'll ruin your you day. Know, <laughs> the highlight, we had those two racquetball courts and that was kind of unusual. I never told why we had racquetball courts down there. You know, the, the weight room was average at best. Our, yeah. our training room at the time was not much bigger than uh, than an office is nowadays. Right. Have you ever been in Coach Spurrier's office? I haven't, no. If you have, that's, that's about the size of the entire training. I've seen, like, pictures, so I can, I'm getting the idea. That's not very big for a football team. It was awful. <laughs> and we practiced over behind the roundhouse. Mm. So we bussed over every day. We took four buses. Undoubtedly, one or two of the buses get caught by trains. You know how? Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, definitely get caught by trains either going over there, yeah, or coming back. You know, if you want to keep some players out to practice, we'd have a bus to stay back. You know, if one coach got through with the players, I mean, he, you're sitting them kids out there waiting on the bus, you're waiting for the rest of the guys to come. Right. It was it was awful. Yeah, and uh, in fact, uh, I said when I got here, I mean, I, I was shocked. I said, "This is major college football." Wow. <laughs> And, you know, and, and then all of a sudden other teams started, they had nicer facilities and mm-hmm. then it just started going from there, yeah. you know, but in the TV's, like I said, yeah. and, then, and like I said, you look now at like the ops building and the new practice fields and it just has to be like, like just, I mean, wow. I mean, you, if only the, the, the players now could see like what it used to be like, it's right. just crazy. And then, and that, that in the roundhouse, that's where our offices work time. Mm. And they were loaded with asbestos. I know there were seven people that either got diagnosed with cancer or I think uh, Mike McGee ended up Bell's palsy or mm-hmm. Parkinson's, I think. We got him, but, but uh, they went in there. When they cleaned that place out and tore it down, there was asbestos everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, and I mean, it's, I mean, there's several coaches passed away mm-hmm. and they, they had cancer from all that asbestos stuff in there. I mean, I'm assuming that's where it came from. It's just too ironic. Good Lord. You know? And uh, we used to sleep underneath the stadium. Mm-hmm. As coaches, we each, in that little old tiny locker room that we had, uh, we, we each had beds. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, always, we each had a little desk with a phone on. Right? That's we'd make recruiting calls. Because you couldn't, you had to call on the landline because mm-hmm. no calls would go through that underneath that stadium. <laughs> So it's you know it's, it's it's amazing now. Yeah, I mean you can't you can't believe it. 
For sure. Well, I'm, Coach, I'm going to get you out of here. It's been a great conversation. But last thing really quickly, and I, I don't know why this this story or this event jumped out to me, but I, I want to get your take on You guys picked on Taj Boyd while you were at Carolina. I mean, it's no secret. You picked on Clemson quarterbacks, really, because Kyle Parker, he ate it too in 2009 and, and 2010. But specifically the 2011 game, I, I want to ask you, because, again, Carolina fans love to relive those memories, the five in a row. Is that the one up there? 2011 here. here. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Connor Shaw's first year as starter. And I don't, I don't, I doubt you're a huge social media guy or anything, but that no, I don't know if you remember because I wanted to ask if you guys used it for motivation. That was the season where Taj Boyd, you know, he did do it, but apparently tweeted that the defensive line for South Carolina was average, and that was Melvin Ingram, that was Clowney's freshman year, and I mean, you guys just dominated. But I mean, just in closing, if you want to, again, I don't know if you remember that specifically because you're not a Twitter guy or anything, but. Taj Boyd was talking crap about the D-line. And, and it's like, okay, we're going to go show out how average we are. And I remember, like I said, Ingram had a huge game. And I'll never forget the video of Taj Boyd rolling out of the pocket. You just see Clowney just, like, closing in on him, dive after him. Like, just, you know, if you want to expand on that game or just even the games with Clemson when y'all had all this. It, it just – beating your rivals fun. But the way that South Carolina did it at that point, it, it, I mean, it just it had – because, like you said, I remember being in person at the 2013 game, but just watching all those other games. That 2013 game, I look back and you watch videos of it, and you're like, man, that game was close at some point. But at that point in time, Carolina football was just like, you just never had a doubt. Like, we're going to find a way to win. Like, I have no worry. We're going to find, we're going to get the stop. We're going to get the score. No issue. We're going to find a way to beat this team because we just have, we just dominate them right now. I know that in that season you're talking about in 2011. I seem to, and I'm not a social media right. guy at all. I wouldn't do good nowadays. I do remember something right. where we got, we were able to challenge our guys when something Taj Boyd said. I didn't realize it was that. Yeah. But Taj Boyd was scared to death of us. <laughs> and Clowney said that, too. He pointed that out yeah, on SEC could, media. You could days. see it. And yeah. You could always see it. But if you'll ever watch end zone copies and, and watch the, the quarter, whether it's the back or the front, Watch their helmet. Mm-hmm. Okay. If that helmet is, and, and I know they're reading stuff too, but that helmet is doing like this a lot, they ain't looking for receivers. Mm-hmm. They're looking for who's getting ready to hit them. <laughs> and Taj Boyd, I mean, it was like, a, like if he ever saw Clowney dip, dip underneath, he'd gone. Yeah, taking off. <laughs> I mean, he was, he was out of here. And that, that one that picture you're talking about, I mean, Clowney is laid out. Oh, yeah, the Superman dive. That's what it looked like. And, uh, and it almost looks like a thing. Mountain lion is chasing down, uh, you know, its prey. Mm. I mean, he couldn't get out of, out of bounds fast enough. And I, so you know, he just it, he was he was the one. Kyle Parker was. We had a, a book on him, right? Because he he moved to. He always scrambled to his right, never mm. scrambled to his left. So we wouldn't make him scramble. In fact, I don't know if you remember that game, Cliff Gathers, but. I don't know if he hit him, but he knocked a pass down. It was really important. It caused an interception to Holland. But we flooded his left side. Mm. So, And he loved scrambling the other way. Mm. So he took off. Mm. And I wrapped Cliff Gathers around at six foot eight. Met him. Cliff could run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden, in that long range. And, I mean, Kyle Parker didn't have a chance. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but, but you know, he had little things. Kyle Parker had a lot of mannerisms. That were really, really. I mean, if if you read a book long enough, you'll understand what it says. And the same thing about yeah. watching film. Yeah. If you watch enough film, 
you can find out a lot about, especially quarterbacks. I mean, they're whether feet are mm. sideways here, you know, right. pass run, huge, uh, you know, way they look. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's there's something, you know, to find there. Right. And then Taj Boyd was just, he was just petrified the whole time. <laughs> I mean, you, you can always tell too when you're warming up. Right. If the quarterbacks keep looking around down there, you know, because if they're confident, they don't care. They, they're they're right, warming right, up right. on the ball, you know, but all of a sudden, we like being a pitcher. Yeah, yeah. All of a sudden, the team starts taking batting practice. You start watching them taking batting practice. They're doing what you need to be doing. Right. You know, <laughs> and so, you know. That's awesome stuff. Coach Long, like I said, I'm going to get you out of here. We could go all day. But, uh, like I said, it, I mean, it was a blast watching your teams. And we'll, we'll definitely have you back on again because, obviously, okay. we could go on and on. But uh, appreciate you taking the time. I've got plenty of time on my hands. so Absolutely. We'll do it. He's Brad Long. I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in. And we'll catch you next time with an episode of the Spurs Up Show. ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's granger offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need plus you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you call clickgranger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done